For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Remember the day, and you see it less and less as years go by, that people would have ash on their forehead in the shape of a cross. Uh, I know that it still happens and it's a tradition for people, but years and years ago, everybody did. In fact, you go out to school on a morning like this morning and you'd have ash on your face back in the day, you wouldn't be let out the front door. But it's a changing world and uh, the rituals change, I suppose. But one thing remains, even though it's changing how we look look at Lent or the period of Lent and the the 40 days of Lent. But today is Ash Wednesday uh, and people are asking the question, particularly in the mirror this morning, what are you giving up for Lent? And of course, the latest mantra is not to be given things up at all, but taking things up. Um, You know, that it shouldn't be about sacrifice. It should be about making you a better person or improving your lot. Sometimes you can make yourself a better person and improving your lot lot by giving things up, I suppose. But the Lent ritual of six weeks of abstinence and fast, according to the mirror today, grew out of pagan practices itself. But many also recognize the 40 days and nights uh, as a reference to the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness, um, as told in the Gospels. The lovely two-page article in the Mirror today that drills into Lent. I mean, they tell us, like, back in the day uh, when, you know, religion, I suppose, Catholicism had much more of a stronghold, I suppose, in Irish society, you weren't allowed to get married during Lent. So there was a rush to get hitched on the run-up to Shrove Tuesday. And any of the bachelors, I don't know what the story was for the bachelorettes. The, it's, not, like, it's a weird thing that men have the word bachelors, which is kind of a lovely word. It's kind of carefree and single and having a great time. And women have the word, they're not married, they're spinsters, which always struck me as somewhat more unkind kind of a term. Um, but it's just my own thoughts. But anyway, apparently, back in the day, uh, villagers were encouraged to chalk an X, an X in chalk on the backs of singletons on the backs of their jackets or their shawls uh, when they were heading home from mass from the first Sunday in Lent just to let people know uh, that they were not married and were available as soon as Lent was over now one thing that's not available and actually your thoughts on Lent are welcome text 0868104106 is it the same as it was years gone by do people still give things up I mean do you wear a bit of ash uh, but one thing uh, that uh, we mightn't have to give up but it certainly will be a bit of a luxury if you to believe the newspapers and that is tomatoes red green yellow peppers cucumbers strawberries raspberries and other types of fruit and veg, what by and large come from either Spain or North Africa. And apparently we're being warned of a shortage. You might have even noticed it on the shelves of your local popular supermarket. And it all has to do with cold temperatures in Spain and North Africa and floods in North Africa and cancelled ferry crossings. It's all weather-related. So more on that in a few minutes' time. But they are saying that it's bad weather, not just ferry-wise, but bad weather growing-wise that's going to cause and is already causing a shortage of fruit and veg. I mentioned yesterday morning the online copy of Barry Roach in the Irish Times. Uh, The rest of the papers this morning in print pick up on the story of the death of Bishop David O'Connell from Glanmire in Cork. Died of a single gunshot blast to his chest on Saturday at his home in Los Angeles. And I was telling you yesterday morning from the online story that Barry Roach had on air because he was up half the night uh, that Carlos Medina, a 65-year-old, was arrested following a seven-hour standoff. He wouldn't come out of his house, apparently. Um, and uh, there was a big stand-up there with armoured vehicles surrounding the house. But, but the story behind it is that uh, they, there's a claim. Now, apparently, uh, Carlos Medina is married to the housekeeper of the late David O'Connell, and there's some claim now 
that the killing was to do with money owed. He claimed he was owed money for work or something like that. Money dominates many of the newspapers, actually, particularly the DJ Carey write-off. And DJ Carey's write-off is extraordinarily in the fact, extraordinary in the fact that it was nine and a half million euro. I think that in the end, they usually get a write-off when you have absolutely nothing more to give. And his contribution to the 9.5 million euro AIB write-off was somewhere in the region of of 60 grand. But it's not an exclusive to him. There are write-offs and write-downs all of the time with banks for people who can't pay, particularly if, if things went crazy during the Celtic Tiger and that it came down like a deck of cards. But apparently there was an internal memo sent to all staff in AIB yesterday claiming to wanting to give them the whole picture, the full picture, because they said, you know, that, uh, you know, what you're seeing or hearing in the media is not the full story. I don't know how you can sugarcoat 9.5 million in a debt write-off, but nonetheless, they want to reassure staff within the AIB. And meanwhile, Garda Shikona need reassurance. They certainly do, because the mail this morning says the Gardaí are increasingly fearing that they're going to be killed while policing large crowds, uh, particularly large crowds of people who are intent on making trouble. Now, an example of that, of course, could well be Ballyfermot on Monday, when a guard was injured after being uh, smacked across the head with a bottle. Down he went and it broke his jaw. Um, not to mention the amount of damage that was done to police vehicles when they were surrounded by the mob. And many people have seen the footage of that. So fearing for their lives. Another person, of course, who could have been said to have been fearing for her own life, just like a lot of other, primarily women, but notwithstanding it can happen to men t- today as well. Uh, abusive partners, coercive control. J.K. Rowling's abusive first husband kept the first Harry Potter manuscript hostage in the sense that she he took it from her the manuscript and refused to give it back and hid it because he was afraid that she would leave him so she's making this um uh, information freely available now in a new podcast called the witch trials of jk rowling and she says that um she was forced she found where it was stowed where he had it stashed but was too afraid of him to take it back right so over the course of i don't know how long she was sneaking um, the notes out a few pages at a time, photocopying them at work and putting them back again. She was so concerned and afraid uh, of Horej of Arantes that he would destroy her work. Um, uh, she eventually uh, left uh, her uh, violent marriage in the 1990s and her life took off thereafter. But the headline in the mail says, Abusive ex-husband held my first Harry Potter manuscript hostage. Um, awful. Uh, you, actually, you talk about the likes of J.K. Rowling and what has happened to her with regards to cancel culture. We also have trigger culture and you see it more and more now, uh, certainly with regards to Roald Dahl over the past few days. Um, and that makes the papers again because I've been giving examples of how what they did was at uh, Puffin Books, uh, they brought in um, some people known as sensitivity readers uh, to rewrite some of the, all of the books actually and to take out things like that might be deemed to be offensive or um, you know, the, the the big buzzword now is, is triggering. And, and in some cases, you think that we're going to rear generations of children in the future who will never, ever, ever to be able to, able to deal with, with crisis or conflict or issues, anxiety or stress or worry uh, because of the way the world is going now. In some cases, you take the BFG, um, Mary, you've gone as white as a sheet, has now been rewritten as Mary, you've gone, you've gone as still as a statue. 
the word white is no longer acceptable. There were par- many paragraphs in different uh, J.K. Rowling books that used the word black in them. They've been completely taken out. Um, the witch's old hag has become old crow. Uh, the passage, you must be mad, woman, has now become, you must be out of your mind. So the word woman had to be taken out. Uh, Augustus Gloop from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is no longer fat. Uh, Matilda's Miss, Miss Trunchbull no longer has a great horsey face, which I think is fantastic. A great horsey face. It's like a long face, isn't it? Maybe a long gloom face. Uh, Puffin brought in sensitivity readers and changed it all around. Your thoughts on that are welcome, and I think there may be some calls and texts on it a little later on. They've also put trigger warnings on the movie Titanic because there's a gun. They've also put numerous uh, trigger warnings on uh, Sean Connery um, um, because uh, one or two of the accusations against James Bond down through the years is that the super spy was basically a rapist. So there's trigger warnings there. Obi-Wan Kenobi's got a trigger warning, warning and so has Father Ted. I can't comment on it because I've never seen an episode. I will one of these days sit down and watch Father Ted. But up until now, I don't know. So I can't even begin to wonder why would there be a trigger warning with regards to Father Ted. Um, Somebody else who was uh, also engaging in activity uh, that didn't involve a trigger, but still in all, in the wrong hands, it could be deemed as a very dangerous weapon if a plane were to crash into it. And that is drone flying around Dublin Airport. And there was a guy before the courts yesterday accused of knowingly causing a false alarm by flying an unmanned aerial system as technical for a drone uh, around the aerodrome at Dublin Airport in July of last year. There's been a number of other ones since then, but this guy before the courts yesterday was an Aeneas Guzowski, um, and he was uh, remanded on bail. Mind you, he did get, again, we've been talking a lot about free legal aid recently. He is working, but not earning enough, so he was granted free legal aid. The judge noticed uh, the money coming in and the money coming out didn't add up, so he will get uh, free legal aid defence. But he's been told to stay within, stay outside of two, two, two kilometres of, of Dublin Airport. He's not allowed to go within two kilometres of it. Um, did you notice last week that we're talking in the papers about whether or not public schools or private schools gave a better um, performance for your son or daughter? Um, it seems as if that has proved to be not true, that there's no actual difference. And this morning, the Independent is saying that single-sex schools, as in all boys or all girls, don't give any academic boost to schools where it might be mixed. Uh, there's no academic advantage to attending a single-sex school. Apparently, they have now discovered that it's all about the student. And it's all about the student's background. Um, as opposed to whether or not there are boys in the classroom or boys and girls in the classroom. Mind you, one of the topics we dealt with recently is your right to bear cash. Um, and that is ever diminishing. Um, but there's a survey done in the mail today that they're quoting where they say that this is the taxback.com people, you know, the people that pretty much guarantee you a tax rebate if you get in touch with them. They, they do fantastic work. But they're saying that the vast majority of people believe everyone should have a choice uh, between using cash or credit cards. The latest issue with regards to not taking cash is within the GAA, where elderly people who gave their life to the GAA can't get into a match now if they haven't pre-booked a ticket. The days are rocking up to the turnstiles with cash or a few bob and a reduction for an old age pensioner, all gone. you got to book online. And there's an interesting one um, with regards to uh, people's finances making 
the Financial Times. And I was reading this online over the past couple of days. I don't know whether it could be the same here, but they say two out of five Britons have hidden money from their partners, right? Like couples have a bank account, you know, one bank account, a shared bank account. But two in five of the people in the UK also have a secret bank account that their partner knows nothing about. And they're putting cash away without their partner's knowledge. Two in five is quite high, isn't it? Um, like that's, that's basically like about 40% have a secret bank account where they put cash away. One of the main reasons apparently is um, they're worried that they will have to need money if the relationship breaks down. Um, mind you, uh, 25% of those surveyed said they argue about money at least once a week with their partner, which is quite sad. And when you look at the figures even more, okay, we've just said that two out of five have a secret bank account that their partner knows nothing about. Do you have a secret bank account that your partner knows nothing about? If so, why so? Text 0868104106. But the vast majority of them apparently have uh, three grand tucked away, 95%, three grand tucked away. The other uh, 5% have on average 15 to 20 grand. It's kind of sad um, having kind of, uh, you know, get away quickly money in case things break down. Well, it's not actually get away quickly, but what will I do if the relationship breaks down and I have no money? Well, you could marry, divorce, repeat. Marry, divorce, repeat. The Red Tops have been reporting on the amount of people that did just that. Zaza Gabor married nine times. Richard Pryor married seven times. Sean Bean, I didn't know that, married five times. Mickey Rooney, super actor back in the day, married eight times. Joan Collins, five times. Billy Bob Thornton, six times. And the list goes on and on. And, you know, if you want to know about somebody's personality, um, study how they eat toast. Well, maybe not how they eat it, but how they like their toast. A survey this morning talks about what your toast says about your personality. Apparently, uh, the ones that lightly, and I mean really, really lightly um, toast their toast, are said to be reliable, will go along with the crowd, uh, and have unique flair and style. I can't understand any of that because they're actually eating something that isn't toast. Maybe that's what makes them unique. They're not actual real toast eaters. And on the other end of the scale then, you have the ones that go for the very dark brown toast. Um, They're people pleasers. Uh, You love to look after others. You cherish those that are closest to you. You can be taken advantage of. Um, You say yes more often than you should. (laughs) I'm not quite sure which I'd prefer to be. I'd probably go for the darker toast. <laughs> how can they how can they work these things out by the way the eat but it goes all the way down then to people who burn the living daylights out of their toast on purpose. You know, black horrendous. I those, mean, who, who, like, are, you might as well just, you know, you might as well just eat coal at that point. Do you know what I mean? If you're, if you're, if you're literally returning it to its original carbon state in the toaster, then you might as well just stick it. You are a it. confrontational person, a person of extremes. You know, you're not everyone's favorite or to everyone's taste. You don't care. Um, so those that go for the really black burnt toast. Avoid. Avoid, basically. They're, they're, they're confrontational. They're looking for trouble. They're out to sort of get fighting with you and stuff like that. Does it say anything about those who only like their bread toasted on one side? It doesn't, actually, weirdly enough. It doesn't. Yeah, it I, really doesn't. There, so. I feel like that about tea, though, as well. You know, like if you see somebody come out with a cup of tea and it's like, 
it's like white like you know it's like did you do you want some some tea with your milk I just yeah it's like you can't help but kind of say oh god don't know what they're going to be like now but like this research amazing that one two three four eight twelve there are sixteen different shades of toast here and I've only given you three I'll be here all morning that's just nonsense though isn't it because toast is hit or miss you put it in and you never know what colour is going to yeah, come yeah but out. like it's not like you're going to be like well this isn't exactly you know mahogany ochre <laughs> you know, like, it's just, uh, just well, like, toast toast the bread put a bit of jam in it stick it in your mouth get on with it you know like so, it's the, light, just, so the lightest possible so toasting is reliable and the darkest blackest crisp oh, is confrontational but it's like you know uh, like as, a, as I've said before I worked in Argos and like you you know, we'd, we'd have the most basic toaster, which was the, the 20 or whatever, the 15 euro toaster. But then you'd have like 90 euro toasters with 16 different browning things. Forget like, about who it. needs this? Forget about it. Do you give me I mean? the cheapest one all day long. Just give me a toaster that's big enough to take a real slice of bread because that, some of them, the yeah. bowl is too small. Yeah, well, and, that's true. And Neil, what about the days with the fork? The long fork. I'm still doing and, that. And, and like, over the fire. I'm still. That's the job. Over the fire. The fire. I was jamming the fork into the toaster. Yeah, my dad oh, does God, that too. No, I wince every no. time I see him do Have it. Have you a cold fire for doing that? Um, not in my current house, but uh, I, I just. Oh, my grandfather used, I used to do, do it all the time when I was younger. All the time, yeah. It's the job. Is it particularly nice toast? Toast it it off a fire on a, it on, is. on a on a what like a, a fork? Well, you'd have to a uh, long pronged fork. Uh, like the like the forks that you'd you kind of a companion set would would be brilliant, wouldn't <laughs> it? Where you get all of the different toast. bits yeah. for the fire, plus the fork for toasting. That's it. Nice smoky flavour. I tell you, that's just. Good but job. it's it lads. Sorry, no, it's toast. Like, can we just not nice, overcomplicate right? toast? Oh, but I, but they overcomplicate everything. But that's people just—it's like this faff around food. Just, just, do you know what I mean? How you cook your toast tells a lot about your personality. Yeah. I think the fact tomorrow will be, you know, how you. Cook, cook your bacon tells a lot about your there's, personality there's only one person I'm judging in this whole thing and it's the person who took the time to actually go do that research that is the only personality I'm actually worried about in all of this yeah, that might be a good uh, good piece for marriage courses pre-marriage courses you know do you like the one, you like the one about the people with the secret bank accounts um, you have yeah. a joint bank account no comment I refuse to comment on the basis that it might incriminate me I refuse to comment on the basis that it might incriminate me 42% of people in the UK have a bank account that their partner knows nothing but about but that's uh, that's kind of like it is for me kind of mental to think that like there's so little trust that you feel like you couldn't explain to your partner like I actually have a bank account that's just for me like is that not a perfectly normal thing I'm not saying I'm not saying throw all your wages in it but just have something small like a little pocket money account for yourself you know See, that's because the prenups don't uh, don't actually come into play here they, they're not <laughs> prenups prenups that's going to be the next big thing <laughs> anyway lines are open text 0868104106 get it off your chest call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 FM. and people are texting about uh, bank accounts that their partner knows nothing about here's a very short text yes I have 8,000 euro tucked away uh, keep those coming text 0868104106 be interested to know uh, okay if you want to share the amount that's fine but the reason behind it uh, the reason behind it text 0868104106 so back to yesterday I'm mad keen to talk to Paddy I hope at some stage to talk to the Lord Mayor Deirdre Ford uh, she is due to come on the air this morning I'm expecting her to be available because I've been told that she was so hopefully that'll happen 
uh, sometime throughout the course of the morning. But to line one, Paddy, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. Now, you spent a long time living in New York, so it'd be very interesting to get your comparisons between, say, um, and I know that the scales are completely different, the size of Cork and the size of New York. But thanks for coming yeah. on air. Just just talk to me about your thoughts on the subject. And about New York? Uh, just with regards to safety, um, having come back here, how you see it, the differences well, you've seen being away for years. Well, Manhattan has changed in the last 10 years. It's gotten very violent and troublesome. But when I was living there, uh, my first vote as an American citizen was for Giuliani, you know. And he cleaned up the whole uh, the whole place and you would be arrested for smoking on the subway or anything. Yeah. And it became very safe. I never saw, in the 28 years I was in Manhattan, I never saw crime. And why do you say it's gone bad again in the last 10 years? We, I don't know, but I mean, I read the New York Post every morning. And there are people being pushed in front of the subway tra- train. There are burglaries. People are walking out of shops with arms full of goods. It just degenerated severely. And they say since COVID. I don't know the reason for it. Mm, mm. After, after you know? COVID. Yeah, COVID changed everything, particularly when people yeah. left the city. No, I'm just interesting to hear, because people have been saying in the past that you'd be safer walking through Manhattan at night than you would be walking through Cork well, City at night, you know? That's what I said when I came to Cork. One of the first things I said was, Manhattan is safer than Cork. That was the first thing I, I remember saying to someone. And what do you think of the, what, the, what the Lord Mayor had to say, uh, Deirdre Ford, well, I mean, talking I'm to I'm absolutely in, in admiration of her to be so courageous. And I have and to say also, just before you make your point at length, that the vast majority of people that have been going to touch with me actually agree with what she was saying. Why do you admire what she said? Because she was, she was courageous to be so honest, knowing that she would get uh, judged for it. You know, she it took it took courage to do that and to be and and you know, as I said in my letter to you, it's not just beneficial. It's almost uh, a public uh, a person in the public office has an obligation to be truthful and to and to identify things as what they are. As you know, they are. So, as you said, an obligation to caution citizens. Yeah, she and that she was wonderful that she did that. You know, I mean, that's that's going to help people to be I, careful and and you know, I mean, I was very struck by the taxi driver. I can't remember her name. Sorry to say, but yeah. her denial was just astonishing. And I, I took a taxi out from town yesterday, and I told the taxi driver, who was a big, strong man, a big man, and I told him about this taxi driver who said that there was, she had no fear and everything was great. And he said, "That's complete nonsense." He said, "I'm." There's constant harassment, and, and you're always anticipating trouble. Yeah, I appreciate that, but I think she probably has as much a right to say that she's never come across it as he has to say that he has. You know what I mean? Well, I don't. I mean, I don't fully agree with that. You know, yeah, I you mean, think that, that we're in de- that people I mean, who would that, say that are living in denial. Den- that's condoning denial, and this country is full of that. How do you mean? You know, I mean when you say she has a right to say that, the woman is in denial. You know this taxi driver she's in denial and I have no tolerance for denial you know so call because it as I, it is I mean well, like, so what have you seen since you came back that would give you such a negative well view? I mean um, the first friend I made his name was uh, Eric and uh, he, we, he was the first person I knew when I came I met when I came to Cork we became friends we used to have coffee and in Grand Parade at Centra every morning or many mornings and he died from the tablets at age 40, you know, a few months ago. And, you know, as I told you in the letter, two heroin addicts burglarized our building here in Roman Close by the North Cathedral. 
and they 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 thought the electricity box in the lobby was a safe and they broke into it and mm. shut off the electricity. There was no electricity for the lift. Mm. And then they, they went out the back and burglarized the, the tool shed and then they trashed the community room. And I, 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 I wrote you a letter two years ago about trauma that I have. I don't know if you remember it. Did I read it out? You did. You read it out. You, you, you were very taken by it. You said, I wrote it in hand-wrote it it was it, trauma that I suffered from as a child. You said my father was a psychopath. Mm, mm, mm. And you probably forget it now, but... So forgive I forgive me, I don't mean to sound dismissive, but, you know, I, no, I'm, you I'm just glad that I no. did read it up, but I, I get so much. Yeah. My, my apologies yeah, for not remembering that, that, it in detail. Yeah. So I was had some insomnia at the time, so I got up and got dressed about one o'clock in the morning, and I walked down the hallway, and and uh, my neighbor Aggie and Jim, Aggie had a problem with her breathing, so her door was is always open. Well, she's dead now. She died not last Easter. Poor woman. She was in a wheelchair, and her door was open. And there were the two people, the addicts, standing outside Jim and Aggie's door. And one of them asked me, "Did I have tinfoil?" And I said, "No, I didn't." And I went into my room, and then they did all the damage to the building, and then they went across town, broke into a man's apartment tied him up, locked him in the closet and stole all his stuff and and then they were caught in like eight years. So I had a narrow escape. The only reason that they didn't attack me was because Aggie knew one of them. Mm, mm, mm. They were looking for tinfoil to uh, to burn and light yeah, up and smoke crack cocaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I told them I didn't, you know. And I told you the letter as well. We we had two or three occasions when the when the they, I don't know why they come all the way up here to the to the top of Shannon Street. We, it's a mystery to me because they've been in our doorway, sitting down with all the materials for the drugs laid out, the the tinfoil and all the rest of it, in the middle of the day. It happened in your senior times. citizens' apartment building. We we are we are a building for over sixties. Yeah. Yeah, and they use your doorway to uh, to shoot up. And then, unfortunately, some people come in late after having a few drinks. And they leave the door unlocked, you know. And then these people, people were able to get in. The, the other morning, Gerard, the caretaker, got up. And he went downstairs. And they were sitting on the stairs. This is only a few days ago. At six in the morning, was a man drinking a bottle of vodka sitting on our stairs. Yeah, that's shocking, isn't it? I mean, you know, when you, when you, when you drill into everybody's story... Um, and you add yeah. them all up. It's like it's just getting worse and worse. So you, like, so you, 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 you must be in fear, though. A lot of the time, are you wondering? Are I'm you not in fear. No, well, I, in the I sense, that if your front door is yeah. open, that your your little apartment will be the next to be burgled or broken into. I know we have to be careful. Yeah, but I mean, the, the handyman George said he would try and speak to the people who do have a few drinks and and don't lock the door behind them. It's not a great door. It doesn't lock when you when it swings behind you like it should. You have to pull it to lock it. So it's a, it's a matter. It's a very inefficient. But door, were you, you know? uh, were you born in Cork? I was born in I call it the Appalachians of Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that? <laughs> because I condemn it wholeheartedly for what they did to me down there. You know the abuse I suffered was was absolutely outrageous, and uh, all my life I, I've had several hospitalizations for depression and. And uh, I'm doing well now, you know, but yeah. I went to a period when I wrote to you yeah. where I wasn't eating or, I wasn't eating or sleeping for, for several months and I got very ill, you know. That, that was why I wrote to you. Crikey. And was that, I mean, without drilling into it in, 
in, in too much detail. Was that to do with home life and your upbringing yeah. and parenting and things like yeah. that? Yeah. Depravity and violence. Yeah, yeah. Was that in County you know, Cork we, or were you from another county? Another county, yeah. When yeah. I don't want to mention it because I don't, okay. I don't want to. Well, why, did you, why, did you, why did you come back from America and settle in Cork? Why come home? Well, when I, uh, Cork always had a mythic, was a mythical place for me. When I was young and I was going through all the, the, the terrible abuse, I used, I used to plan that I'd run, as a child, I used to plan I'd run away to Cork and get a job as a dishwasher. So Cork always was my kind of, my Avalon, as they call it. Yeah. And even at, I was, people, I don't know if you know this, but people who suffer severe developmental trauma, many of them are, are very psychic. That's a medical fact. You can check that out with any psychiatrist. He or she will tell you that it's yeah. true, you know. Yeah. And I knew at a very young age that, uh, that I would travel widely. I've lived, this is my fifth city. I'm proud to say, and I, every one of them was wonderful. And uh, and I knew one day I would come to Cork when I got older, when I turned 60. Did you enjoy all of those different places that you oh, lived? Oh, my were you... God. That were, that were, I had a great time. Oh, so it wasn't I a mean, case that you couldn't settle anywhere. You actually enjoyed it. No, I mean, and, I mean, and, and uh, down, down on the Appalachians of Ireland, one of them said, said about me, should he settle nowhere? Mm, <laughs> mm, mm. Idiots. You know, I mean, I, I had a great time. Everywhere I went, even though I had issues with trauma, I managed to, I always managed to work and I had wonderful jobs. I worked on the Broadway shows for 10 years and I saw every, every great show like Chicago, Les Miserables, The Phantom of the Opera, The Jig, yeah, I can't even remember. What did you do I on saw, Broadway? What kind of work? I was in Usher, it was a part-time job and I also did some teaching. I went to New York University, which was a wonderful experience. It's an elite college for people who are smart and, uh, and I studied education, and I was teaching a class in English on the, in the Lower East Side, 2nd Street and 2nd Avenue, the LaSalle Academy, when 9-11 happened outside the window, it could be clearly seen, and all the kids ran to the window, and they were crying, and I never looked at it, thank God. Oh, you were right downtown for that. And tell me, did Cork, did Cork um, meet your expectations? Oh, I love Cork. I've been treated with so much kindness in Cork. When I came to Cork, I, I was in a homeless shelter for a little while because I couldn't find a place. And then I got the echo one day and I saw a, a, an announcement, um, a classified, nice bed, bed sit for, for rent uh, near city centre, called this number. And I called it and I said, my name is Paddy. I don't drink or smoke. I'd love to, I'd love to have you a bed sit. <laughs> and with, that, with, with those words, I got it. <laughs> and he was the kindest, most loving man I ever met. Mm. On the second day I was in the bed sit, he arrived with a, with a big television for me. Wow. Then, okay. he, then he went downtown in his car and he said, you'll have to pay me for this. And he got me uh, the box for the channels. And then he hooked it all up for me and he knew I was new to Ireland. He wrote down all the channels in my notebook. He was an amazing I see how you've man. never forgotten that kindness, that generosity. And then, I, he's, he was a wonderful sense of humour. He, he died of heart disease not too long ago. But I met him on Shannon Street after I moved into the, the council apartment, which I love. And I said to him, Mark, thanks very much for the television. And he said to me, did you pay me for it? <laughs> <laughs> By the way. He was a great man. Anyway, I'm delighted to catch up with you again in person. Um, but but again, just coming back to where we started this morning, we need, as you say, to call a spade a spade and don't shy away from yeah. the truth and face up to the issues that we have in Cork. That's pretty much I mean, the crux of your message. It is, and, and, and there's another dimension to it is I have tried to get therapy here, you know, which, I'm, which I decided, no, I don't want because I'm done with therapy. But 
the only denial I made, I mean, I spoke to councillors who couldn't even say the word abuse. One of them would only say, not nice. She couldn't say the word abuse, you know, I mean. It's a whole different culture. Well, it must, no have been, it, must have been, it must have been shocking if I called your dad a, a psychopath. It must have been at the worst end of the scale. Oh, that's what you called him, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Man, so and can sorry. I tell you one other thing that's very interesting? Uh, do you have time? Yeah, very yeah, quickly, if you don't mind, yeah. People with developmental trauma have psychic experiences, and I've had several. When I was, uh, one night I was asleep in San Francisco, and I had a vivid dream of an accident scene with people very sad around a bicycle, and I looked up above the accident scene, and there was a face of my friend Morris, who was 25 years old. This is in 1990 in San Francisco. And his face was luminous, and he looked at me and he said, why is everyone so sad? This is exactly how it's supposed to be. And then his face went off into a beautiful white light. And, and did, he, did he subsequently he die? Dead. Yeah, I knew he was dead before anyone. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I had that. Yeah. Amazing. Look after yourself, Paddy. Do stay in touch, all right? Stay listening. I will, yeah, yeah. Oh, listen, I have some very good books about Cork, old Cork. I'm going to send them to you, lend them to you. I would love to, and I will treat them with respect and return them to you when I'm finished. Thank you. Beautiful photographs and and everything about the black and tans and the pawn shops and all that. Please do, absolutely. I'd love that. That'd be great. Looking forward to it. I'll send them to you. All the best, my friend. Take care. Bye, Neil. Cheers, my man. Take care. Look after yourself. Uh, Dermot, good morning. Uh, morning, Neil. How are you? You've got the Greenwich uh, Cafe. We've spoken uh, on a number of occasions in the past. But uh, do you do you not f- do you work late? Um, no, we'll finish up uh, sometimes here. I'll be here late at night, all right? I'll be finishing late in the evening. Okay, because yeah, yeah, after you so close, you're obviously working on a little bit later yeah, on, on Caroline yeah. Street. Now, I, but you said that the city isn't safe at night. Explain. Um, I don't feel it is. No, I feel like uh, there, there's a lot of social problems out there at the minute uh, with addiction and with homelessness and, and, and so forth. And I, I don't feel it's safe, you know. It's, it's not as safe as uh, what I remember it to be, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What do you observe, though, after dark? Um, I think there's a, a lot of kind of, we say, fighting arguments in the streets and things like that, you know. Um, I, I do think, like, uh, the city has a real problem with homelessness and it has a problem with, with addiction as well, you know, and um, it, it's kind of sad to see, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do you get approached or anything? Um, you just get approached all the time, we say, uh, from, from various people. But, you know, um, I just think that, that the, you know, the, the problems are there and uh, need to really be addressed, you know. Do you have any grief in the cafe, in the restaurant? Uh, we don't, no, no, not at all, no, no. Outside now, uh, we say in the evening time, you'll, you'll see things kind of will be different now and nice, but, um, but you know, uh, no, 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 not within the cafe at all, no, mm, no. Mm. Are you talking about Oliver Plunkett Street, is it, or the, the side was, like, Mailer Street areas like that, or is it all over? I would say, like, the, yeah, Mailer Street uh, would, would uh, gather a bit of attention, but, like, uh, Patrick Street as well, you know, but... Um, I just feel there's nowhere for them to go. You, you would um, you get people coming up and talking to you and whatever, and, and they have nowhere to go, if you know what I mean. That's, well, that's what I feel yeah, is, is the problem. Yeah, well, a lot of the know? time it was at night, but now it's very evident during the day as well. Yeah. Uh, it will be, yeah, yeah. Definitely, and yeah, probably yeah. will become even more evident as we go through spring and into summer when weather gets better. More people will be coming to Cork City, by all accounts. I, yeah, I feel so, yeah, but I feel that they have, from what I can see anyway, I feel that they have nowhere to kind of go as such, you know. Do you, do you uh, talk uh, with yeah. visitors to Cork at all and what they say about Cork? Well, I talk to visitors uh, to Cork. We also talk to local people coming to the cafe as well. And they have said it, you know, they have said the city is, is looking in, in a different place than what it was. 
Um, I think the one thing that keeps popping up is the homelessness in the city, you know? Yeah. And people are saying that with a, with a lot of, um, you know, uh, they're not kind of giving out about it. They're kind of worried about it, you know what I mean? Um, a general concern about it, you know? Uh, and just finally, because now you've got a busy day ahead in the restaurant, what do you think about what the Lord Mayor had to say on the matter? Um, well, I feel like um, she has uh, valid points in it, but I think overall, I think a, a plan has to be put in place to deal with with the issues there at the minute. And I don't, I don't believe that they're they're being dealt with. You know, but you don't think um, that by what she has said nationally, which will be there forever, it's online now, is really going to impact on tourism and conferences and you know uh, business on Lee side that people will avoid us if this is the message that's going out there. Um, I don't believe so. I think uh, I think someone has to kind of really kind of you know put a put a kind of a plan in place for it. Really, you know, yeah. I think someone has to tackle it. You can't really ignore it. I think you continue ignoring it. Really, we're just going to be in a worse place in years to come, even in twelve months to come. Okay. You know, all right, okay. So I, I think she has a very valid point. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Dermot. Look after yourself. All right, no so bother. Okay, luck. thanks. Uh, have Bye. a good day today. Uh, good service. The Greenwich Cafe on Caroline Street. I suppose it could well be said that uh, uh, it's been a long time since a politician first citizen of the city has come out and said something as blatant as she has said with regards to not feeling safe on the streets of Cork. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Interesting email. Uh, calls and texts after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Joining the story earlier on this morning of uh, the research that's out to say that uh, an awful lot of people in the UK, like 40% of people who were surveyed in the UK, have a secret bank account that their partners know nothing about. There can be different reasons for it. It could be independence, having your own money, uh, what's yours is yours, these kind of things. But it also could be in the event of a relationship breaking down and having money uh, to move on with your life. But also it could have to do with coercive control or violence or being, um, you know, in an abusive relationship. I can understand, Texter here says, I won't give out anybody's details, never worry about that. I I can understand uh, why people have secret accounts of money hidden, having finally escaped a financially controlling, abusive ex-husband. He assaulted me again for the last time in in front of the children before I got the chance to start saving enough. I started to save and I still left. I had to. So please don't scoff or joke about it. Nobody is. I'm just telling you. Um, I understand that there's the serious side of it, and I have made that point a number of occasions this morning. I mean, it, you know, it may have been humorous earlier on in the event of uh, you know somebody having a bank account that a partner knows nothing about, where they are in a happy relationship, for instance. But I understand and acknowledge what you're saying, where it can be an abusive one. Um, like for instance, uh, I've been married 25 years. I have three daughters. For as long as I can remember, my husband has put me down. He always controlled the money. We never had a joint account. I had to ask for money if the household allowance ran short and justify every single time why I was short. And there would always be trouble if I was short with receipts. Uh, I hadn't stood up for myself as I thought in a way this is what I signed up to uh, as I was a stay-at-home mother. I've been accused of hitting on guys if I even spoke to them in front of our daughters. I was accused of hitting on their athletic trainer when we were at a cross-country event. In 2017, I went to work in a nursing home. He told me, you're so lucky you love your job, but you'll see that they'll see through you in the end and they'll get rid of you. I was told his drinking was because anyone would need a drink in order to live with me. He's been working from home all through COVID. 
I tried talking to him about his controlling behaviour about a year and a half ago. His reply was, we're done. He refused to speak to me since and subsequently our daughter's main communication with me is F-U-C-K off, you stupid effing B-I-T-C-H. He has told them, take no effing notice of her when I ask them to tidy up after themselves. This is constant. They don't want to talk to me or spend any time with me now. He gives them money and whatever they want all of the time and says they don't need to do anything around the house. We are in the process of separation now, but it takes so long. Uh, I've been looking for somewhere to rent for quite a while now, but there's nothing available. And anything that does come up is way above my budget. My happiest place is when I'm at work as I can be myself there and I feel appreciated for what I do. I need to get out as I don't know how much more I can take of this. My daughters are so hateful towards me now. Um, Pardon me, I need to turn the page. Even though uh, we used to do everything together and have great laughs. I was hoping to find somewhere. I'd be hoping I could have two, maybe three bedrooms so that the girls would see the light at the end of the tunnel and end up coming with me, or if not with me, after me. My life at home is unbearable. Um, actually, that emailer then is also looking for help in the sense that um, if anybody knows of anywhere that might be available to please get in touch. Uh, and that is a typical example of uh, the condition. And I think it's a, a real it's a real eye-opener, you know, how difficult COVID must have been for many people in relationships that uh, were violent, abusive, co- coercive, or all of the above. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. We're back after 10. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Talking about beautiful days. Uh, you know, the U2 song. It's a beautiful payday. Uh, you two are going to take up a residency in Vegas and they will become Las Vegas' best paid performers ever, raking in $1.4 million per gig at their upcoming residency. Now, they'd have to split it three or four ways for sure. So I don't know if each of them would walk away with as much as, say, Celine Dion ever walked away with when she was playing the likes of... Uh, of um, you know Vegas, but certainly it's a lot of money per gig, one point four million, big money, isn't it? Twelve dates uh, in Vegas in September. It's a front page of making the sun today. And those of you that love to follow music or the you know the history of music or you know as to the directions it's going, you might be interested to know that it's heavily hinted now at this stage, verily very heavily hinted that the two remaining Beatles, as in Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, are going to appear on an upcoming Rolling Stones album, as in the Stones and the remaining Beatles have done a collab uh, and uh, recorded together. And the album is being mixed, as we speak, apparently, for the upcoming Stones albums. That'd be very interesting, wouldn't it? Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr and the Rolling Stones all playing together. Uh, That certainly would be historic. Um... Uh, email came in from Ben regarding uh, debt write-off and he says, I just wanted to email regarding the bank writing off a debt of over 9 million euro uh, for DJ Kerry. It sickens me to read these stories time and time again. And for the best part of three years during the pandemic, I fought with the bank, not for a write-off, but tried to, uh, tried to extend the term of my mortgage by 10 years as I had that much time to play with 
and it would reduce my monthly payments by €400, a plan which was drafted up by my local bank manager. I fought and fought and fought. There was no write-off. There was no missed payments in this plan. If anything, I'd be paying them back more interest over a longer period. So the bank would have actually got more money out of me for 10 extra years. Uh, But I was willing to make that sacrifice in order to free up a bit of cash every week to support my family. Uh, And the five times I tried, they kept saying no. And that was it. Just get on with it. And by the way, you can't have savings for kids' Christmas presents, is what I was told. Do you imagine that? As if they'd be watching what you were spending it on. I'm sickened to hear another story of a high-profile person getting looked after, but two fingers to the many honest, hard-working people struggling to support their families. I'm now seriously considering switching my mortgage from the bank to the credit union, even though their interest rates can be a bit higher, but at least they will add on the extra years to ease the financial pressure a bit. Never again will I go near a bank for a loan. I'm done with them. I hope you understand how frustrating this is, and I'm sure there might be many other people in the same situation, says Ben. Um, yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll automatically charge you going into the red, you know, if you are overdrawn. Uh, many others have been getting in touch saying, you know, at the same time, uh, while DJ Carey got over $9 million in a debt write-off, others lost their tracker mortgages. Um, and so I can understand. Uh, and you know what? You make an awful lot of sense in your email. You want to support your family now. You know, and extending it now would make more money for the bank. It would allow money to be freed up in the family home so you could provide for the family the things that they need rather than finding yourself in a really comfortable position in 15 or 20 years' time when you wouldn't need it as much. So I understand what you're saying. And thank you for that email to neil at redfm.ie. Now, I just want to go to this uh, and and just hot topics, if you don't mind, because one of the hot topics at the moment uh, is fruit and veg. And I was telling you just out of the 9 o'clock news, in fact, Lana spoke about it in the 10 o'clock news, about the amount of, uh, well, actually the shortages of the likes of tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers and strawberries and raspberries and all sorts of fruit and veg. It has to do, apparently, with cold temperatures and bad crops in Spain and, indeed, North Africa. I want to talk to all fruit and veg down in Little Island. Owen O'Neill is there. He's going to tell us exactly how bad it is. I hear tell it's even worse in the UK. Owen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you, sir? Thank you so much for taking the time out. Um, appreciate it. How You're bad? How bad are things? I mean, are, are, will we start noticing it in the supermarkets? Shortages? Without doubt, yes. It's it's happening for the last two weeks, and unfortunately, it's not improving out there. Um, the stuff is so expensive at the moment and so scarce. Very, very hard to get product. At so the when it's short, the price goes up when there's a shortage, is it? Correct. Because yes. there's more demand. Correct, exactly. And exactly. tell me what and the shortages are in what fruit and veg? Mainly your salad lines, your cucumbers, your peppers, all your peppers. Uh, celery is extremely scarce, expensive. All your onions, as you said, soft fruits, your blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, and tomatoes are absolutely horrific prices at the moment. The only thing you don't seem to be mentioning there is spuds. Well, we can grow them here, luckily enough. But everything else, though? Uh, again, we don't have the climate here for growing your... No, your I'm saying, I, under, I understand that, but everything else seems to be in short supply. Correct, correct. Plenty, plenty of potatoes around, actually, because they're, they're grown in Ireland. All our local growers have them. 
Are we not growing any tomatoes, for instance? Are we not growing we, cucumbers? Or We do, but again, all climate dependent. We don't have much glass houses here, so everything is grown outdoors, basically, and we don't have the climate this time of year to... To, to grow these things, it's normally midsummer when we have a bit of temperature before yeah, we see gotcha, these coming yeah. out. And why is there a shortage? There are a number of reasons. Uh, the climate in Spain at the moment is just too cold. Their stuff isn't growing. Um, in Italy, they have major flooding. Uh, people have lost uh, acres and acres of, of crops down that way. Uh, Turkey as well has a slight bearing on it um, after the earthquakes and stuff product isn't coming over there. And I hear a lot of from North Africa, particularly around Algeria, Morocco, places like that. What are we getting from North Africa? Not very much, unfortunately, Not very much. either at the moment. Um, I think that's a logistic point of view. Um, very hard to get product in from there due to the expense of diesel and trucks. Stuff isn't venturing that far as much as it used to be in the last number of years. So it looks as if tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers and your blueberries and strawberries and raspberries will become all luxury items. To an extent, but again, we were hoping it's only going to be a short-term thing. Um, like Holland would be the biggest growers in Europe. Their season hasn't started yet. That's expected to start towards the end of March. So when that starts happening, prices are certainly going to, going to drop. But till then, it's, it's, it's going to be tight. Okay, and can you give us examples as to you know the, the different costs? You'll be buying them by big kilo boxes I'm assuming but what kind of increases have you seen? I, I, I can give you straight straight figures um, normally this time of year uh, red, green, yellow peppers maximum you'd be paying about 10 euros um, for today, a 5 kg box I think for is it? for a 5 kg box tenner if I was to load in Holland today which would be Spanish product you were hitting nearly 30 euros per ok box. so trebled trebled yeah and would that be the same for the the, the strawberries the raspberries Blueberries, cucumbers, everything. have nearly sort of doubled in price. Um, cucumbers trebled in price. Strawberries, uh, we're talking about because with, with the weather effects on the product, the, the quality just isn't there. So like, I can buy strawberries today for maybe 30 euros, but there's a good chance I'm going to lose about 30% of the product before it even arrives here. What about the likes of your mange too and your broccoli stems and your beans and stuff like that they are fairly standard they are uh, air freighted in from um, from Africa and Kenya those prices are seem to be holding okay, okay yeah. at the moment don't we get stuff also in from South America yeah uh, not mainly not, not directly to here um, it would arrive again into, in, into the, what, the ports in Holland and stuff and distribute it to here Um we don't do much of it, to be honest, in, yeah, in all fresh air. We yeah, don't do a lot okay. of it. Okay, so you're under pressure then, are you, to, to um, fulfil the orders for those that you supply? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And do you, do you think a lot of this has to do with climate change? You'd be closely watching climate, I suppose, wouldn't you? Uh, we would, um, yes, yeah, it has to have a bearing. Like, you know, Spain's never, never. Losing you there, Owen, losing you there. Sorry? I lost Spain you there, yeah. Oh my God. No, you're back again. Go ahead. Yeah, strange one. Um, like Spain is never that cold this time of year. Italy doesn't have flooding this time of year. So, you know, it has to be down to that. It has to be down to that. As well. Okay, okay. So, are, so people will notice this in the supermarkets now with the empty shelves? Without doubt. Without okay. doubt going forward, yeah. For, for how long? For a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. I, my, my own personal opinion, 
three to four to five weeks. Okay, all right. Thanks for the backstory on that. Appreciate it. I'll let you get back to it. Thanks for taking the call. That's Owen O'Neill from All Fresh Fruit and Veg in Little Island. So don't be surprised if you see empty shelves or almost empty boxes. Uh, I hope it doesn't. I mean, it's not It's not as if you can panic buy and store a lot of these produces, of course, because they're perishables, but uh, certainly going to be a difficulty over the coming weeks. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Jim, good morning. I'm good. I didn't uh, get to talk with David Babington yesterday, but I shared some of the audio of how he's attacked in the city on Sunday night. You wanted to pick up on that? I do look that it's a terrible thing that happened to the man, you know, that yeah. he just couldn't walk home. It shouldn't happen in our city. But I think the thing that, that really annoyed me was the fact when he was saying that, you know, when he got to the, the, the police station, one, he was stripped down, two, thrown in a cell. Like the man obviously was injured, was injured bad. Um, you would have thought that the police's first course of action would be to see was he okay and that he wouldn't die in a cell and it was his injuries life threatening on both the both parties. You're now assuming that none of that happened. I don't know if he was medically examined. Well, if he was thrown into a cell, he, does, he, wasn't, he wasn't thrown into an ambulance, was he? Why you do know? you say thrown into a cell as opposed to put into a cell? Put into a cell, so nearly the way he was in there. And what's the thing with stripping him down? Did it, is that standard practice? When Dad, you're I have no idea why that would happen, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, you might, you might ask the old police officer, and would they do it to a woman? I, I, it's so, so, it's alarming, really, you know? Yeah, yeah. You, you, in the sense that anything could have happened or he could have been in a frame of mind that might have been dangerous to his own health in the cell. Well, he, Gareth, and the fact, you know, if you get a hit to the head, Neil, right, which he obviously did, right, you know, you can see rugby players, you know, they get concussion, they're off the pitch. Like, he's obviously concussed. And if you, even if the cop asks him the question, do you need medical intervention, which they always do when you arrive at a police station, like, the last person you ask is the injured party. So he, especially with the head injury. A head injury like, is true. You are right. Anything could happen with regards to a yeah, bleed and most the guys, most guys are, you know, are brave to kind of say... No, no, in grand. That's what most guys, certainly most cock guys, do. You know, whether they're gay or straight, that that's just a normal reaction out of all of us. So I think I think they're wrong in that instance. They should pay more attention to the injuries. Uh, the case will find itself. Um, you no, know, it's, a, it's an excellent point, and it's an area that I overlooked yesterday. So thank you for that. It is important, yeah. and you know why I can't I can't talk to exactly how he was treated in Anglesey Street. Uh, you know, yeah, it, it's yeah. important to bear in mind that. Well, both, both yeah, of them, both of them got arrested on the basis exactly. that the guards probably didn't know who started it in the moment. You know. Yeah, that, and that, that's the way. That's the way it is. I suppose they can't like say who's right and who's wrong. But as I said, that's for another day. Okay. But once they have the two guys there, they're cooled down. Okay. You okay. know, All right. they should really be worried about them medically. You know. Okay. So the other issue then is the issues regarding why he was beaten up and how dangerous the city has got. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think look. It, there's a few things I suppose in the city that we all we all we all can see is wrong and that's what's making our city into a slum. And during the day it's very obvious. Right? We have and I'm gonna use all the wrong words now and apologies. So we have the winos, we have the druggies, we have the drug pushers, and we have the, these guys that walk around constantly tapping people for money. All those are illegal and the cops are not picking up on it. This is what's making our city a slum and there are very basic things to sort out. We could do this overnight if the police had an interest and they haven't. They just—they're quite happy to leave it happen, and the cost of that is our city is going downhill very fast. Yeah, like you yeah. only have to walk around town there now, and there's a guy with curly hair and a beard at it full time around around the house, down by the back of the courthouse. He's tapping old women as his target, and young children coming out of school, robbing the pocket money from the young children. He's this guy is about forty-five. I don't think it's a drug or drink problem. It's probably gambling with him, but he has an addiction anyway. But this needs to be stopped. 
And unless, like, the police start protecting the streets. So and kids coming home from schools city. in the city are being harassed for money? Absolutely. You could only see this man with the curly underbeard. He's there. Ask it, most of your listeners, they, they've all been tapped by him. He's annoying. And he's aggressive. Mm. He's aggressive. Mm. You think know, the Lord Mayor, do you think the Lord Mayor was right in what she said? Well, she's bang on. She, she, she can't walk around and she's the first citizen. The rest of us are in the height of trouble. Yeah, here's what she said, incidentally. This is from RTE's drive time last week. I would feel a bit insecure uh, in some parts of the city. Where are That's you talking not, about, uh, Deirdre? In the city centre itself, in some areas of it. I'm a tough old bird, and I can tell you um, I wouldn't be easily intimidated. But I have to reflect some of what I'm saying or I'm hearing. For instance, I was at a meeting today, and a businessman showed me a video. Um, in Cork City where an aggressive individual came in and started trying pick a fight with the people in the, his premises. It was a, a shop, a convenience shop, and the bouncer on the door tried to get him out. Now, this was at nine o'clock. Uh, he tried to get him out. He put a trolley between them. He pushed them out, and he came back in, and he got an awful wallop on the back of his head, wow. which sent him flying. And what swear. kind of antisocial behaviour happens in Cork? Drinking in the streets, drug taking, selling of drugs. Um, so this, well, yes, openly, I'm sorry to say. I think that's fairly uh, well documented throughout the country. And is it widespread see, in Cork? Well, you know, the complaints that I'm getting is that there are, are plenty of drug uh, selling in Cork City oh, no. and elsewhere throughout the country. And uh, in fairness, the vast majority of people that got in touch with me over the past couple of days agree with what the first citizen is saying, Jim. Wasn't she fabulous? No, I that, mean, you in, know, the, in the sense it doesn't. It like. Well, in the sense that she's saying it, not fabulous that she has to say it, and it will really tarnish the Cork image across the country and overseas. Common sense. Like why? That. Because why? Because she's admitting what's there. I mean, if she doesn't say it. Like, you, you think the tourists, when they come in, they don't see it. I sat outside the Boron last summer, and uh, one of those druggy guys what was tapping and was tapping the tourists sitting outside the Boron. This has to stop. This is a police issue. They'll tell you that there's not enough police and there's shortages. My God, there was plenty of police showing COVID. They control the streets. And all of a sudden, they can't do it now. Yeah. Um, it's any excuse, though, to bash the Gardaí these days, isn't it? Every excuse to do, get your job right. What are we supposed to do? Form our own police force? A second police force? Well, first, a good place to start would be to have enough of them. Well, I'd say if you've got twice as many of them, they're all all doing the wrong thing. What you want is proper policing. Every guy that taps you on the street is committing a crime. Every guy that's taking drugs on the street is committing a crime. But it's not as if people don't get tapped. It's not as if other people don't get tapped in other countries and other cities. You go overseas, you go on your holidays, you get tapped. But you listen, that doesn't mean it's right here. No, it doesn't. You mean ask any, right you ask any old person, a young person walking around the street that's been harassed by these individuals in our town, and it's the same ten guys, right? Are they happy with that? No, they're not. It's against the law. Get it sorted out. The town is horrible over it. Okay, just one so text in response to my conversation with you. John, uh, sorry, Jim has no clue what he's on about. Any excuse these days to guard a bash, but I'm sure what's new about that? With regards to stripping people down when arrested, prisoners are always searched and any strings or issues like that are taken from their clothing for safety persons purposes. If the prisoners don't want their strings taken or their laces or whatever you off their clothes, then 
then that is facilitated too. I'm sick to death of clueless people ringing in, mouthing off about stuff they know nothing about. That's probably in defence of Gardy more than anything else. Well, he obviously thinks that the girls are doing a brilliant job, so. That, 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 that's what that takes as well. Listen, I know there's great girls there. And as a matter of fact, the female girls are better than the guy girls, from my experience. Okay, all right. You can't go there either. I'm not girl bashing at all. Just do, just do your job. Do all right. Let's, let's see if there's one cop arrest anyone tapping or taking drugs over the next 24 hours in the city. All right, my man. They, they won't even prosecute it. They'll have 800 charges. They don't, they, they don't care. And that's why our city is, a, is in the pits. Keep those calls coming. Text 0868104106. Thank you, Jim. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. All right. Uh, by email, listening to your podcast uh, regarding Cork City and the people trying to defend it on your show on Tuesday's podcast, particularly the central owner and the taxi driver. Cork City is in a deep hole of dereliction, drunken scumbags, druggies. And if I never set foot inside there again, I'd be a happy man. And I'm a fit 40-year-old from the suburbs. Uh, I walked in the middle of the day with a newborn baby and mother through the North Main Street, Paul Street, Patrick Street. I will never do it again. Felt nervous all through the one hour I had to survive with the messy drunks, the druggies and the beggars everywhere. Uh, Cork City needs to be bulldozed and rebuilt like the great photos of the old days, says Brian. Uh, It's a subject that's very close to Damien's heart. The question is, who's responsible for the management of Cork City Centre anymore? Uh, My issues include street signs. There are hundreds of beautiful old signs that are never painted or cleaned. I've suggested in the past volunteer groups do this. I personally know many people that would give their time to do it. All it takes is someone in the council to make and formulate the plan. Old, important buildings. A good example is the Bazaar Market on Corn Market Street. The council say we can't clean it because somebody else owns it. In Amsterdam, if the owner doesn't upkeep, they get fined. The council need to start managing the look of the city and clamping down on business owners. If a business owner cannot upkeep, then council should help them. Every old building is crying out for TLC. Plastic signs on businesses. These gaudy signs should not be allowed. Again, the council need to take control of this. Don't talk about derelict buildings. This has got a lot of airtime, but where's the plan? Anish posted on their findings from Cork City Centre for all to see. Yes, they do, and they regularly update their posts and video, Anish. Um, the council seems to be unaware that tourists come here to see a historical medieval city. You arrive on the North Main Street, South Main Street, and there is nothing to tell you that you're on an ancient street where Vikings and Normans and Gwales all lived together. Cork's old buildings like the Butter Market are covered in green slime and bird droppings, cracked window panes, filthy outside. God knows what they're like inside. All the tourist attractions, even the Cork City Jail, needs a revamp and a clean. An archaeologist once had an idea of calling the North Gate to Barrack Street area the Medieval Quarter and putting up ornate signs and an official walk for tourists. At least that would be a start. And finally, crime. The big question is, are Cork's city centre security cameras even working? There were many social media posts of fights in daylight times in the city centre with the Garda response time 20 minutes or longer. Can't understand this. I can be anywhere in Cork City in 10 minutes on my bike. One incident happened on McCurtain Street. How hard is that to reach? I'm in the city all of the time. There is little or no Garda presence. Two guards walking around every so often is not a Garda presence. The city centre is small. It should be easy to manage. 
by Gardaí on bicycles alongside working security cameras for the well-known bad areas. Overall planning meetings with everyone present are urgently required. The Gardaí, the town planners, historians, the business community, architects, archaeologists, the council, tradespeople, masons, everybody. It's time for us all now to work together to improve our city. Uh, says Damien. That's a powerful email. Thank you for it. City Council needs to take urgent heed of people's concerns and their valid comments before things escalate to a point of no return in the city centre. I'm 54 and the city centre is unrecognisable to what I grew up with. It is really a sad place to visit. I was proud of the city centre before. Now I'm not. It can only get worse until people's voices are heard. Don't let it get worse because Cork City deserves better. I remember years ago, my mum and myself would look forward to a trip into town and it used to have a buzz and you'd always meet someone you'd know. Now, I don't know when I last went into town. It's like a different place. I just don't recognise it anymore. And just one or two more. The Marina Market is now the hub of our city. It's well run. There's a great atmosphere for all ages. It's family friendly and it is a great choice of food to suit everybody and all budgets. Long may the marina market last. Can't remember the last time I went shopping in town. I hate going in there. It's gloomy. And honestly, I don't feel safe. Another person texts saying the city centre is now just a place for drug dealers and users and homeless people begging. It's awful. No guards to be seen. I've such a pity. It's such a pity, especially for older people who, in my eyes, are now very vulnerable to antisocial activity taking place. And as we heard this morning there, Jim reminding us that even school kids are getting grief and being tapped for money or being hassled for their phones as they're heading home from school. Um, I went for dinner Monday evening. Loads of places weren't even open. Uh, I was asked for spare change multiple times. I saw an Eastern European man trying to assault an Irish man because the Irish fella asked him for spare change. The Eastern European lad had just gotten food from the guys outside the Savoy and was battering the food at the Irish guy. There's loads of people in doorways. I had to walk around Merchant's Quay to get back to the car park because the centre was shut. It was so dark by all of the bus stops. I don't know how anyone would wait for a bus there. It's so dingy. I didn't see one guard, but I saw plenty of gangs and a lot of them were teens. Um, There's loads more. I went recently with my mum who's in her 70s. I couldn't find a decent shop for her to buy anything for a special, special occasion for her age group. There were only three shops suitable most places, it seems to me, have just closed down. Uh, main part of the city is horrible. Went out with my partner over Christmas and we stayed up around McCurtain Street. It has the best pubs and the best atmosphere. We really enjoyed McCurtain Street. Thank God there's something positive. Uh, Cork City, not a nice place anymore when you have the likes of Blackpool, Mahon Point and Ballancolic that have buzzing atmospheres and free parking. So the city is bound to suffer. It's an embarrassment with regards to tourism. That's a selection. There's lots more like that, which I'll come back to throughout the course of the morning. Don't you worry about that. So do get in touch. Text 0868 So a lot of different topics on the go this morning. Joanne has another one. Joanne, good morning. Hi, hi Neil. Good morning. Firstly I'm, very, um, firstly, I'm very sad to hear about your sister. She passed away. Was it in the last year? Uh, it'd be exactly a year tomorrow. Oh dear me! Yeah. She, she must have died young yeah. then, did she, Tina? Well, she was uh, she was just going on seventy, seventy one, I think, actually seventy one. Her older sister, yeah. so I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, <sighs> while I was in bed last night, I was browsing on, you know, the Cork City CBL. The choice based letting, where people go on to uh, bid for a house if they're on the housing bid list. If they're on the housing list. And there's my sister's house. And she's dead a year tomorrow. 
So I was like, this can't be true because we we passed up weeks ago and we were like, there must be somebody living there because even though there were still her neck curtains, we thought somebody was living there. And I went into the pictures last night, Neil, and it, they're exactly the same. The house is the same as the day she died in it. Nothing has changed. Nothing. Furnished and or unfurnished? It's unfurnished, but her same kitchen is there. Even, you know, those um, things you use to out a fire, what are they? Extinguishers, the yeah, fire blankets, things yeah. like that, yeah. It's still on the wall. The bathroom is the exact same. Everything is the exact same, and the house is sat there now. A year tomorrow she's dead. And no, so there was no refurb or renovation. They say a lot of the time that, you know, tradespeople have to go in, do it up, rip things out, replace things. None of that. Well, Neil, I was in that house and so was my sister. And I can vouch that that house is exactly the same. So why, if they did nothing to it, did it take them a calendar year to put it back up for letting? A whole year. And I commented on it last night with Thomas Maloney as it up on CBL, you know, letting people know what's available to bid on. Homeless families that are in hotels, living with their parents and children. Three bedroom, fine house, sitting there. <coughs> Excuse me. Choking this morning. You know something? Yeah. If it was, like that would, n- a business would never survive in the private sector if they did business like that. They just wouldn't like. No, they, wouldn't in, in the private sector, They'd have it done, turned around in a matter of weeks. Maybe even if they were doing nothing to it, you turned it around in days. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've been on to you numerous times about houses that I know people are bidding on and they're still sitting there a year and a half, two years later, still boarded up. And when I saw that last night, it just made me mad. Yeah, yeah. To think that all the years she was a council tenant, you could eat off her floor. She was absolutely immaculate. She kept her home so nice. You know, and in her final days, she lived there on her own. Like, they wouldn't even transfer her out of there. She was in a big three-bedroom house on her own. And I know for a fact she was trying desperately to get a smaller little place off him. Yeah, for lots of different reasons. One for, for herself yeah, and she, she also... she was lonely there. Yeah. 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 And the house was too big for her to maintain. And she probably and also her, knew that for a family it would be ideal. So it was very kind of her to want to move too, wasn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. She even said it to me about my own kids. You know, she was saying... Well, they put their names down and I'm like, Tina, that's not the way it works. You know? Isn't it a lovely tribute, though? Isn't it a lovely tribute that she left it in such good condition that no work needed to be done to it? It's lovely, isn't it? Well, they can come on now and say, oh, maybe we painted the bedroom. But I can tell you, if you go into the pictures, you'll see for yourself. Yeah, I know. You'll see for yourself. Unfortunately, that, that length of time wouldn't win any records or break any records because their property's a lot longer than that. But in your case, nothing was done to it, so it could have been turned around. A lot of the time, they rip kitchens out that are perfectly good. No, You're aware of that. No, kitchen's exactly yeah. the same as I remember it. And the bathroom, exactly the same as I remember it. The hall, the tiles in the hall, everything's the same, you know? And I think it's just a disgrace. They can come up with excuses, okay? But they can overnight build um, modular homes for everybody else coming in here, mm, mm. you know? They can pull money out of thin air to build modular homes for everybody else. Mm. And we have families, we have families living with their parents. We have three, I know a couple, and they have three children in a box room. They're living in with their elderly parents. Like, this has to be called out. I, I said, are are the three children in a box room or the whole family are in the box room? Three children in the box room. Just the box rooms are tiny. Like You get a single yep. bed into a box room if you're lucky. Yeah. But this is what's going on and it needs to be called out. 
has to be called out. Somebody has to be held responsible for this. No, sir, no sense of urgency, you see. Yeah, but it's our taxes and we're paying, we're paying for the council. They're not doing their job. You've, you've, you've people on the TV on upfront and all the talking about homelessness, pretending they care. And this, this is the carry on. I know. It's everywhere. It's rampant all over Cork City. Walk around, look at all the empty houses boarded up. I bet you yours won't be the last call regarding the amount of times that uh, people have passed buildings year well, in, year out. People I'm calling them out for it now Sitting today. there, not, you know, boarded up and forgotten about perfectly good homes that people would be desperate to get into and mind and look after. And they just to get into. sit there. Yeah, just sit and there. Just, it's just there now. And I was so sad last night when I, I saw it because I had a lot of memories of being there when I used to visit her, you know. I had an awful lot of memories. But just to see it, it just broke my heart, you know what I mean? I know, I know. First it's anniversary. It's so wrong, and it needs to be called out in it now, and it needs to stop. Okay, let's get other people's thoughts. They might have other examples just like yours. Thank you, Joanne. Um, Thank I'm very you. sorry to hear about your sister on her Thanks, first sir. anniversary. Uh, lines open, text 0868104106. Just picking up on uh, city-related issues. Uh, Jim made some interesting points there, but John doesn't agree with them. Not all of them anyway. John? Hi, how are you, Neil? Um, because you had reason to observe some court appearances recently, was it? I did, yeah. Last week there, you know, there, there was a couple of people charged for begging in the street and uh, busking and, you know, a few various things going on in there. Uh, a lot of uh, nuisance um, youngsters destroyed from drugs and drink, you know? Mm. Um, being brought in as well and being charged and stuff, you know. So this is answering the, one of the points like. that Jim made, where he said, uh, "You never see anybody being arrested for begging." You, you, yeah, no, you they, they I, I've, I've witnessed four cases in particular for the begging. You know. Okay. What What yeah, happened then. in court when they were Were they convicted yeah, of begging? What yeah. happened? Oh yeah, they were convicted and they were fined, um, and, and and they were put on the probation act. You know, but like again, where are they going to put these people? You know. How can you him. find people who are begging if they have no money anyway? And that's the reason oh, that they're they begging. I, I remember talking to one particular guy there and he turned around and said he was losing money while he was in the courthouse. <laughs> Did he give you the impression that he was making substantial cash? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But do they actually pay the fines, though? Um, well, they have no choice because if they don't want to just get picked up on a warrant again, you know. Okay, okay. Okay, and some of them you said were in and out. What, what's the issue? They were taken in and oh, out. Oh, stop. It's hilarious. Um, it caused a nuisance in the courtroom because of the length of time it went on. But, like, in fairness, the, the fellow that was operating the, the courthouse was... was he was well switched on. Like he, he, he went into the story properly. You know, it might have aggravated a few people the length of time they were there, but he was doing. You said there were two know. fellas tearing bits out of each other in the court. I stayed on the door. Oh yeah, yeah, at, at the front door, and they were they wanted to come in. They were up against each other or something. Or up against. They were put back out again. One fellow was brought in again. Uh, the other fellow charged back in. He went back out again. Came back in, changed his hat before he came in, and he got caught again at the door of the courtroom and was put back out again and. You know, kept going on the whole day. And is this wa- this is clearly wasting an awful lot of guard of time, this carry-on? Oh, is it what? I mean, and in all fairness, no. There's about eight guards inside in the courthouse at the, at, the day, at the date in question. And they all had to leave the courthouse to go out to protect the front door of the courthouse. You know? Like, so, you're talking eight guards there trying to turn around and manage the door. No, See, that's, a, that's amazing. You'd have eight guards in there all together at one time 
um, yeah. because they've they've got to be All there for the court yeah. cases of people who've been yeah. charged with begging. But it's an awful waste of four able body guards. It is, but you know, I, I've seen a lot of court cases where you're dealing with okay, say you you have a sergeant there that's taking the report from the guard, and that that information has to be given to the court. If there's any question about anything, the court case gets appealed, it gets dragged out uh, because the guard will have to be brought back in at some other stage that did do the arrest. Like each guard yeah, who did the arrest has to give individual independent evidence. Yeah, like. yeah, 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 yeah. Because you see, at the end of the day. The rest of it is only hearsay, you know? I know, I can kind of understand that really to some extent, although others might say it's kind of antiquated that you could have a sergeant in charge reading out all of the evidence for all of the different guards, no? Yeah, 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 you know? Um, but that, you'd have that there, a sergeant to read no evidence that's given from another guard that's written on paper by Biro, you know? Um You'd need the physical guard, you're saying. Yeah. You'll need the physical guard there because if there's a question there to be asked, it's going to have to okay, be answered. Okay, well, well done. Know? That's brilliant. It's a good response. You were there. You saw it happening. You saw the court in action yeah. with regards yeah. to, as you yeah. say, and, and you know what? Like, begging. I, I'm there and I'm a bit boggled about the, the Lord Mayor making that kind of statement. I mean, half these people are homeless. Half these people are in trouble. Half these people have addictions. And, you know, they all start with the system not doing things right. You know? Um, uh, yeah, but, like, people can get fed up. Of, I mean, people can only be so tolerant, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. You but, know, I, you know I, I, look, I look at the amount of youngsters that's out there now today. Man, they have an awful challenge in life to try and get homes and get trained sorted out. And, you know, and, and, and families dealing with those issues inside in their house because they can't put their families out their their, their sons or daughters forward in, in I, I, I know I have no idea where you'd even begin to try and peel back how you can keep kids yeah. away from drugs yeah. or drug taking or falling into bad company or ruining their lives with the likes of heroin it, 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 it starts it starts with the people putting a halt to the people that are causing this you know they, they need to basically what they need to do is set up a proper individual organisation that will deal with it from the top down to the bottom, you know, and take these guys that are putting people's children under that influence off the streets. Like, the most ironic thing I've ever seen in my life is you'll go into a courthouse, you'll apply for a license to sell alcohol, right? And as far as I know, you're only supposed to sell three drinks to a person when they walk into your premises. What? You know, Why did you hear that? You, well, I, I was told that was an old bylaw on the, on the grounds that you get your license, would that be right? Never heard that in my life. Three oh, drinks, right, three okay. drink limit. That's news to me. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, well. It's written in the book of law somewhere anyway. Because um, I, I, I was told by by another person. You know, and I, I could, I could be wrong on that. You know, but my point is, is that you'll go into a pub, you'll get a license, you can drink away, you'll come back out intoxicated because your levels might not be the same as the next person, and you know, addiction as it is, what it is, it is addiction. And you're back inside in the same place to give the license out to the individual to sell you the drink for to be prosecuted. Mm, 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 you know? Mm. Like, who's making money there? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm interested here, I know, because the lads are saying it'd be the Weatherspoons. I think Weatherspoons had something all right back in 2020, December 2020, where they had a three-pint rule to stop big booze-ups. Um, yeah. Some pubs were limiting the number of drinks each customer can get their hands on. 
Um, this was in the UK, though. I don't think it exists on any statute. Like, I mean, it would be bizarre if there was a, well, yeah, it was written it, into it, the it, Irish it, licensing it, laws that we missed that. Talk, they missed it up, yeah, you know. Yeah, it could have been um, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, it, it isn't a bad idea either, is it? Well, let's find out what people think of that uh, three three drink rule. Thank you, John. I want to talk to Dee, uh, who was in New York in December. Dee, good morning. Good morning, how are you? And thank you for holding, appreciate it. Uh, share your no story, problem. we're listening. Um, yeah, we went, uh, six of us went over in December for um, shopping spree. Good. And, um, yeah, well, we, the first night we walked down and we were surprised over there, like, do you smell that, do you smell that? And we, we could smell weed, people smoking. And we found out then we saw shops, they've legalised smoking weed. Yeah. That was supposed to be for medical reasons, people in pain and stuff like that. But uh, no, we were the ones in pain getting secondhand smoke. But uh, um, it was awful. And how were, like, you know, was this everywhere? You, you Everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. But, you know, apart, apart from that, how was the experience generally? Did you feel safe? Were you hassled, you know, or... Oh, we weren't hassled. The only the only bit of hassling were the people trying to get you on the tour buses. We weren't hassled, yeah. but none of us would go on our own. Yeah. We were all together. Yeah. And if we were in one of the shops or whatever, we'd make a time and we'd all meet at a certain spot, and we you would never leave. none of us were ever left on our own. The point, one of the interesting points here is with regards to smoking weed in public, if that were to ever happen here, people wouldn't be long getting frustrated and fed up with the smell, is it? It's all the smell alone. Like, I, I, I was actually, I got green. I got the munchies one day. I went into a, a well-known baker in New York and I got six buns because I had the munchies. Never had them before. And I paid 62 euros for six buns in there. And I only ate one. Why did you buy six then? Because they came in six. But I didn't know the prices of them either. Like, so it was like 62 dollars. And You were baked yourself? Yeah, we had some smoking secondhand. Did it? Did, I mean, did it. you feel different? I mean, were you kind of slightly oh, yeah. high? I did. God Almighty! It was awful. Like they're, they're blowing it into your face and stuff. Oh, yeah, but like you that. don't you don't have to go to New York for that. Just walk through the city. I was down in yes. Douglas yesterday, and some guy passed me. Wow, the waff off oh, the I guy. I see it now. Um, Douglas Village. Even in the morning, some students going to school and stuff. You can smell it when passing them or something like that. Or even lunchtime yeah. when they come out. I mean, it, it will happen, though. It, it will happen. Weed, cannabis, marijuana will be legalised here. So, um, so oh, be prepared. Yeah, it's, no, I wouldn't recommend this. All right, not for you. Okay, thanks okay, for that. So, do you enjoy um, New York other than that? Do you do a lot of shopping? Do you do a lot of socialising? Um, we did. We did a load of shopping. The girls, the, the the girls I went with are pros. I was only there in '94 for the World Cup. So where did you go the, at Christmas time? Where 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 did you shop? Um, we went out to Jersey Garden. Very good, would isn't recommend, it? Would recommend it to anyone yeah. there. Yeah. It was brilliant, and uh, Macy's, of course. And, Macy's is gorgeous. You know, 
Yeah. Couple of um, makeup shops being all girls. Jersey Gardens like is fabulous. You can get a bus out to Jersey Gardens, cheapest chips. There's great bargains out there, and the bus back again. It's a great day. Out. Exactly. We got the we we did exactly what you said there. Yeah. And when you go into Jersey Gardens, there's a receptionist desk, and if you buy um, a voucher book for seven dollars, you get extra discounts. I know. I know. I know. So it's what you would recommend recommend this, the ice ring and the, the Christmas lights and everything. That was all beautiful. Um, ground Zero was eerie. But um, everyone was respectful yeah, down around there. Yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing to go down there and see what they've done the, with the um, area. Yeah. Tube stations or whatever they, they call them. Um, subways, yeah. Subways, sorry. Yeah. Um, they were a bit scary. Yeah, uh, you want to be. You want to have your wits about you down there, you know. Yes, yes. You really um, did. You socialise? Did you go for a couple of drinks? Did you go for food and like that? Um, we went for food. Very expensive couple of drinks there, but we didn't go into bars and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I took one night off. I visited relatives in Staten Island. Lovely, which was lovely. It yeah. was really, really nice there. Okay, okay. But, um, Very yeah, Christmassy. Would recommend obviously. it for the shopping for the ladies. All right, girl, mind yourself. Take care, Dee. Okay, God Cheers. Text story 68104106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Talking about censorship uh, earlier this morning with regards to Roald Dahl and issues like that, and I was referencing the issues uh, in the life of uh, J.K. Rowling and the, the, how you know people can get cancelled and everything these days seems to be sanitised or there are these... Uh, trigger alerts uh, on everything um, you know the the fat word now will not be used the colour word white and the colour word black all of these now taken out certainly out of the printed word when it comes to Roald Dahl but I did mention um, also uh, different TV shows that are getting all sorts of alerts and warning on them and one of them apparently is Father Ted uh, if you've never watched Father Ted you must be broadcasting from the moon <laughs> no I just haven't I mean it's fine like I was talking to somebody last week who's never seen Breaking Bad same person never saw The Sopranos. So, you know, that, that that to me is so surprising. I'll get to Father Ted, though. For God's sake, beam me up, Scotty. Mrs. Trunchbull, Father Ted, James Bond. What'll be next? Spock, Flash Gordon, Planet of the Apes, The Waltons, Little House on the Prairie. Give me patience with the way this world is going, says Eilish. Uh, Any time I hear about something being cancelled for fear of offending, I stick on an episode of South Park. It's the perfect remedy. I hope the lads keep on going. On those that have a secret bank account known to nobody but themselves, I'm separated. I live with a very controlling woman who was always violent. She also had her own private bank account. It's not always women who are victims, you know. Don't give up my details, but God bless all. You are, you are right, and, and I always say that. I go to great lengths to say that, that also this can be an issue and something that men also live with. Uh, a homeless friend of mine once said that the reason why Cork has gotten rougher since COVID is because most homeless drug addicts hate being around people and are always paranoid. But when the city was empty in 2020, 2021, they strolled around with less people and he says they took over. And now they just don't care about people being around them. Um, so it was COVID uh, made a huge difference on Lee said. Desi says, on the day that the that Deirdre Ford became Lord Mayor, she was on air with Mick Mulcahy. He asked her about a text that I sent about the state of the city with addicts and empty buildings and no public toilets. She didn't really have an answer. And she just said words to the effect of, 
We'll look at that. It sounded like she was going to do nothing by the sounds of it. Now she's on given about, out about the state of the city. Maybe if she'd listened months ago, she could have done something about it. What do Lord Mayors do anyway except get driven around, wined and dined and chauffeur-driven in their brand new Ford Mustangs, says Desi. And a final one for now. Can't come on air. I would like to remain anonymous. As a woman in her 30s, I'm nervous walking through the streets of Cork. There's a huge increase in younger people begging on the streets. Very young. Walking up to you with paper cups looking for spare change. There's one man in the Grand Parade area every day asking everyone for money. There are people visibly off their faces shouting the length and breadth of Oliver Plunkett Street and the side streets. It doesn't matter that it was the Lord Mayor saying she's nervous in the city. It matters that people are nervous in the city. Possibly more so women than men. We deserve to feel safe in our city. I don't have a solution, uh, but I don't think it's fair to say that the Lord Mayor was blatantly blasting the city. What she said is fair comment. If you saw someone in trouble, would you help? Or would you not just put your head down and walk on for fear that you yourself would be hurt? Text 0868104106. Back after 11. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show Have you ever heard such nonsense? The Lord Mayor takes a trip to town and is horrified The Lord Mayor takes a trip to town and is horrified The ordinary Joe Soap's been complaining about the state of the city for years There have been fights, brawls, muggings, stabbings for years now It's like the walking dead in there The Lord Mayor is not brave for speaking up It's her job and her duty to speak up if the ordinary person, or people I should say, were listening to years ago, maybe we wouldn't be in the position we're in now. It's a kip. But she did speak up, and the vast majority of people interacting with me agree with what she is saying. Now, as to how City Hall feel about what she said, that's another matter. Particularly those dealing with corporate Cork, uh, or the PR image of Cork across the country or overseas. What kind of a message has that put out when the first citizen says something like that. However, um, it's an interesting point you make where you say if the ordinary people were listened to years ago, maybe we wouldn't be in the position we're in now. Um, and if you look at it from a business perspective, what if, I mean, in fairness, you have to commend the businesses in Little Island, right? Because they have a lot of issues down there. One of them apparently has to do with roads and potholes and surfaces and cars being damaged and trucks and vans and business spending thousands blazing wheels and tyres and axles and stuff like that. They have serious problems. So what are they doing? They have given the council a deadline. Not quite sure when the deadline is. It could be in a month. It could be in two months' time. That if it's not rectified and if it's not sorted, they're going to start withholding rates. And there's a thousand of them. So that's people power if I ever heard it. And you know what? Maybe that's the way things should go. We're going to stop paying 10% this month. Next month, we're going to reduce it by more and more. I mean, what are they going to do to a thousand businesses in Little Island? Like, okay, you could say they could fine them all. But what if all of them refuse to pay the fine? And they just literally stopped paying. You know what's happening a lot of the time? The utilities come in and they wreck the roads. Irish Water, for instance, was an example given down in Little Island. I was reading about it yesterday. They come in, they do their thing. They need to be forced to put everything back pristine. Because when it's not put back properly, with the rain and the wind and the frost and the ice and everything and the traffic over the roads, our roads were never, ever as bad. Why did they get off on that? Oh, yeah, the business in Little Island. I think, for me, I commend them. I think they're dead right. You know, 
Nobody's listening. Nobody's noticing. Take action. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Why all the fuss about DJ Carey's 9 million? A dentist turned developer in Timaleague uh, got a write-off of 170 million. And a well-known restaurateur owner in Dublin got a 15 million euro write-off. Why is there no talk about that? Very true. Um, of course, when you look at uh, DJ Carey's write-off, of nine, nine and a half million. It pales into insignificance when you talk about 170 million. Uh, the, the actual backstory to the 170, um, I can reference with an article from the Examiner in December of last year. Um, the headline was Locals Disbelief as Barry Hart's Record 170 Million Personal Insolvency Deal in the High Court. A man who grew up in Timaleague struck a record 170 million euro personal insolvency deal in the High Court. The deal allows him to retain assets of 6,000 euro, including a computer and some clothes. The house, which is in his wife's name, will be sold, but the hearts will continue to live there renting from the new owners. The settlement makes provision for living expenses of 2,800 per month based on his declared income of 2900 per month. Uh, most of his creditors will receive nothing. The lucky ones will get 0.042% of what they're owed. Not 0.42, 0.042. Uh, Mr. Hart had, through personal obligations, accrued legacy debts to NAMA of 46 million, owed Ulster Bank 23 million, Link Finance 4.5 million, Pepper Finance, 67 million, and several individuals, when totaled up, were owed 16 million. Uh, he settled the unsecured debt with a payment himself of 80,000 euro. So his contribution to the actual debt was 80,000, and the rest of it, 170 million, was written off. He managed a multi million euro property and hotel empire that fell victim to the 2007 financial crash. Uh, as I say, that's a record one, 170 million, but there's been lots of debt write-offs over the past few years, and maybe even further back than the past few years, going back to the collapse of the Celtic Tiger, lots of them. Um, how banks recover from that, or a finance company would recover from it? How would Pepper, I guess they make so much money uh, that they just write the 67 million off and, you know, Hope to recoup it in future business. Ulster Bank, 23 million. NAMA, 46 million. Vast amounts of money. Uh, keep those calls and texts coming. Text 0868 104 106. Uh, I want to talk, I think, it's, it's, I mean... It's wrong, really. It needs rectifying and people need to be heard. But at the same time, I think the story behind the Cork woman, Kay McShane, needs to be shared in itself. And I'm joined by our sister, Anne. Anne, good morning. Morning. Now, because I was reading Owen English and his article about your sister, right, the Paralympian who who passed away um, uh, and and lived life, and of course com- competed as a Paralympian in her own her, her, in a wheelchair. She had remarkable sporting achievements through her life. Isn't that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. she did. She represented Ireland at two Paralympics. Uh, one in Stoke Mandeville in 1984 and the other in Seoul in 1988. And she also won a number of medals for participation in uh, marathons, like the London Marathon. She won it uh, three years in a row um, as the first woman uh, Paralympian uh, 
to 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 uh, complete the race. So now she she, she, yeah. she was born in in Fromoy in the back end yeah. of the forties, but but was reared I think in, on Spike. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. So with you father, and your with you and the rest of your sisters and a brother. Yeah. So there were six of us, um, but like. Uh, four of them were born in Fromoy and myself and my younger sister, we were born in Cove. We were like, my mother came off Spike and had, had us in Cove Hospital. Yeah. Um, so my father was in the Irish Army and he was stationed in Fromoy and then they moved to Spike in, I think, maybe 1960. Um, and there we lived there then. And the um, 50s, the 50s, I wasn't around in the 50s, but I know that there was a very bad outbreak of polio, wasn't there? And That's right. Even children yeah. would be moved out of the cities and out to the countryside and things. Isn't that right? Yeah, well, I wasn't around there then yeah. either. But I knew, like, from Kay, that there had been a number of people that our family were aware of who had got it. And, you know, people recovered in, at different levels. And Kay spent a long time in Dublin, in the hospital in Dublin, um, where they kind of did various treatments. So she got, she was three when she got polio. So she was just learning to walk or she was just walking. And then she got this and then that left her completely paralyzed. Her and that was, and her only mode then of any kind of movement at all was in a wheelchair from three. Well, so what they did, right, that time was they put people and they did it with Kay. They put her in calipers and sticks. Yes, so right. she had these, you know, big, horrible looking leg braces on her legs, leg braces and sticks. So... That was really quite challenging because her legs were completely paralyzed, so she had to, you know, move herself with the sticks. But she did that until she was in her thirties, until she got involved in wheelchair sports. And I think her main reason for wanting to do that was accessibility, because she felt that it would be a lot more difficult to access public places in a wheelchair. Yeah. And also that she thought that she'd be more discriminated against if she was sitting in a wheelchair as opposed to being able to stand even in these braces. She thought she'd yes. be better. She'd be better on the braces with the sticks. She, she thought that people would look at her like more as an equal in a certain sense. That's what I think. Yeah. She often said to me that she'd go for interviews and people, you know, she wasn't always treated like an equal person because of having a disability, and also because many of her jobs in Cork were upstairs. And, um, you know, it would have been impossible for her to go to work in a wheelchair. Um, you know, so like so little was accessible. So if she was going for like what, what kind of work did she do? Okay. She did um, she did clerical work and she did accounts. And then when she was her late 30s, she got a job in the civil service mm. and she moved to Dublin there and she kind of worked her way up. You know, to senior clerical position. Very interested in the area of discrimination, though, uh, and yeah. accessibility. Uh, I'm wondering if she were around now, would she say that it's got any better? Clearly, must have improved somewhat, though. Well, I see. After she she took early retirement from work, and she was very strong on the question of accessibility, and she campaigned with Blanchestown Community Independent Living scheme. She was very involved with them, and they she did things like. Um, audits of parking spaces and like ex- access to shops yeah. and bars and stuff. Yeah. I think what she would say, I know what she would say is that there have been improvements but it's like not joined up thinking yeah. that sometimes places will be accessible at a certain, say we'll say in a shop but there will be steps up to that accessible 
um, space and that's what we have really the situation in Spike which obviously we'll go on to speak yeah, about Yeah, no, I know because I'd be curious to talk to other people who have challenges in trying to get around say whether they're in a chair or indeed they have some walking aids as to how accessible things are like what's public transport like now for instance? Well, she, when she lived in Dublin, she was fine on the Lewis. That was fine. When she would come down on the train um, to see us, it was much better than before. But when you go on the train, because we live in Cove, from Cork to Cove, they had to get out a special ramp. Um, but they'd even have to get a ramp at Kent, wouldn't they? Because the gap between the train and the platforms, it's like a foot and a half at least. Yeah, 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 yeah. They did, obviously, that's, tr- that's true. But when you're on the tr- Dublin Cork train, you're in a better situation. Before, I think, they used to actually end up in the goods wagon. That's as far oh as I can remember. God, so we've it come was on really from bad, that. yeah. And you know the, you know yeah. the, uh, the commemoration um, yeah. on Spike? That's even an accessibility problem in her memory, isn't it? Yeah, so what happened was that when she died... Um, There was a really nice piece uh, written in the Echo about her life and people on Spike Island working there thought that it would be a nice idea to have an exhibition about her. So we met with the management and we knew that there had been a problem even kind of getting onto Spike before because of the steps. Um, So she had wanted to visit and hadn't been able to go back. Um, But we said to them, we were thrilled with the idea that her achievements would be marked by this exhibition and they were really interested too but we said it has to be accessible there would be nothing that could be done in Kay's name that denied that would have denied her or denied her husband or her friends or anybody with a disability the right to access it we wanted to for it to mean something you know Um, and that was always understood but and then what happened was we went over in 2021 with Michael her husband and he had enormous difficulties the chief among them was getting from the pier to the fort. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Spice. I but have. It's too, like the second hill particularly is extremely steep. It is. Now, if you're an active Paralympian, like so if you're really fit, then I'm sure you do it. But for most people in wheelchairs, it's just completely inaccessible. Um, so what happens? There's no little bus is, from A to B, no, nothing? There's a bus, but if you're in a wheelchair, you can't get on the bus. That's the part, you know, the irony of it. So when we got to the pier in Spike, we looked at the bus and we didn't really realise until then just how bad things were. There's a, there's a step onto the bus, but sure, Michael couldn't get on the step. You know, he, can't, he can't get out of the wheelchair. Mm. So there's nothing. And to me, it's a very simple thing. They can adapt it and they knew that, so we were told that it would be adapted. That, so that day we had a nightmare his grandson had to push him up to the fort and he was very upset and then coming back down the hill was even more dangerous because it's such yeah, a, it's steep, a hill. steep hill down of course yeah really undignified we were, he was extremely upset so after that I said to them look you know you're going to have to get this sorted we'll help you with funding whatever you need to do um, and we then got um an engineer to go and do an inspection and he produced a report which I've actually sent you a copy on of that says there's some you know basically when you get to the fort there's some really good accessible spaces including the ca- the toilets and the um, cafe there but it makes no difference because unless you can get there yeah, from it's A not to B. accessible I know yeah, did so I hear I didn't I don't have the report incidentally but I did read somewhere yesterday a figure of something like eight and a half thousand euro was yeah. mentioned that's what we've been told, that that's how much it will cost to adapt the bus. But what they said to us in the most recent letter I received from the board, which kind of shocked me really, was that 
they didn't make enough money last year to be able to pay this. I mean, I think that that's like really like not not acceptable, especially when we said we would help with fundraising, we would do whatever was needed. You know, we didn't want to go public. Like, I've been Eight involved in lots grand. of campaigns. Yeah. I didn't. No, we didn't. We like we wanted to help them make this happen. It was something that was to us like that it was significant, not just for us as a family, but for, for, for the Spike exhibition to have her success well, there, you know, for I, it all to be part of this see, is somebody I, I, who I, came from Spike. Absolutely. And, and they, she, had the so Spike, she had the Spike connection, of course, yeah. from, from her youth and her childhood. Spent yeah. her life campaigning for people absolutely. with disabilities and their absolutely. rights. Um, passed away in 2019. Left an incredible legacy behind her. Uh, yeah. I saw a very old photograph from 83 uh, yeah. winning the Echo ladies mini marathon in the chair silver medal in the marathon of 84 uh, yeah. summer Paralympics in London two bronze medals um, yeah. and then the marathon and the, uh, the, and the 800 metres and the 88 Paralympics in Seoul and yet yeah. if, and if, you, if she were alive today and was being commemorated on Spike she wouldn't be able to get up to the commemoration she ceremony no. she couldn't go no do you not do you, I mean you, I think you see how illogical that is Oh, absolutely. And that's the point we've been trying to make to them. And Spike, that we don't want something that just commemorates her, like in a patronizing way or like pats her, you know, with a pat it her on the head or oh, well done, you did all of these things. But, it, but that it means nothing in practice. If Kay was alive today, she could not go to that exhibition, the proposed exhibition. And I know how strongly she felt about this issue. I mean, she was such a determined person. She never wanted her disability to stand in her oh, yeah, way. I know. You and know? while you wouldn't say this, um, I, I, I can say it, that it's almost as if she's discriminated still. Yeah, and definitely. And her husband and anybody else who is in a chair that can't visit Spike um, the exhibition up there. Now, they have her up on their website in Spike as one of their, as one of their characters. And like, there's some really lovely photographs and everything. And... But like, I feel like it's that it's wrong that they don't actually do something. And the one thing that would fix that is what? And, and it, just the bus. I mean, adapting I, the bus. Or adapting a new the bus. Adapting the bus. No, we're not asking for a new bus. Like all we want is for somebody to be able to go to the exhibition who's in a wheelchair. Did Mick Barry bring this up in the doll? He did. He raised it with the Taoiseach yesterday and Leo Varadkar said that he wasn't aware of it but that he would look into it and I really hope he does and that he does something about it, you know. I mean, we have legislation in place that says we shouldn't be discriminated against but this is like... And, and to me, it's an example of discrimination. And I'm curious but, if other people listening to this program would also yeah. have examples how in 2023, how are we now with regards to accessibility and all-inclusiveness in our public buildings, in our tourist attractions, or in, in retail and hospitality and areas like that? Do people still feel discriminated going for a job in the workplace? Because you said in the past that you did yeah. at, at, at interviews and things. Yeah. Rodrigo Gorman is a, is, is a minister who's actually... This is his portfolio, Minister for yeah. Disabilities. So do you think that, he, that Leo Varadkar will be having a quiet word with him? Oh, I certainly hope so. And actually, it's a good thing that you raise that. Now, perhaps I will contact him directly um, about this. I, it would just be so excellent. I mean, you know, you've seen like all of the um, articles about Spike, about it being an amazing exhibition and that it has won all of these you know, international awards. 
this will be a very good thing for it to say about itself that it is wheelchair accessible, that it is accessible. All through the experience, yeah. It is All an incredible it is an incredible achievement, Spike, but this would be yeah, a step in the right direction that. for the sake for the sake of eight and a half grand. Yeah, I mean they can yeah. fly they can fly forty five ministers, junior ministers and handlers all exactly. over the world for St. Patrick's Day at a cost exactly. of millions. I know. I, I think you should be pushing an open door on that one. I ho- I really, really hope so. As I said to you, we never wanted to go public. Like for me I've been involved in a lot of campaigns, but this is personal, so it's you know, you kind of feel... Totally personal. But actually, what I do understand more than I ever did before is how hard it is to ask for something mm. as uh, in order to like get something accessible. How, how I think that often the, the kind of rights of disabled people are right down the bottom of the agenda. Um, and, and it's important that you talk about it as you have, uncomfortable and all as you are doing it. And perhaps yeah. we'll get other calls from people who also I have stories so. that they might like to share. But the actual commemoration is in, in, is it in June? Well, no, they, well, I don't know if it's going to happen because... Well, when was it, it planned for? Was it the summer? Or was well, originally she was meant to be part, her, her life story was meant to be part of a permanent exhibition and they were going to make an accessible exhibition because it had been upstairs so there was no way we were going to... But it is that. bizarre to have an exhibition to mark somebody as a, as a high achiever in a wheelchair if other people who are in wheelchairs can't get to it. Exactly. It's crazy. Exactly. It means nothing. But so now I think they're talking about it being a temporary exhibition um, in a kind of a lobby area of um, the, the caf- cafeteria on Spike. And but we can take our stuff away afterwards, they said, at the end of September. But I think that's not going to it's not going to happen unless they make the bus accessible because we won't agree to it. And which is sad. But like, what can we do? There's no point in know, agreeing know, to it. Know, and then, know. you know, we, we've kind of forfeited this opportunity. How can, people, how, how can people help? I feel almost half helpless here as to what happens next now. Well, I think that people can help by contacting Spike and saying that they're supporting our call for this bus to be made accessible. Um, I think that's, you know, so they can see how much support there is out there. Maybe contact their local TDs to raise it in the doll again, just to make the... Uh, for God's sake, it's mortifyingly embarrassing for a yeah. government department to be found wanting in this area, in a yeah. state-owned place like yeah. Spike. It really maybe is. Maybe Roger Gorman or the Taoiseach or, you know, Mick Barry and Pat Buckley... Um, has also been very helpful, you okay. know. Okay. So, well, yeah. we're certainly going to get on the case at midday yeah, with Roger O'Gorman, so the Minister much. for Disability. Oh, brilliant. Okay, and we'll brilliant. see what they have to say on the matter. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, thank you so yeah. much, Anne. Um, thank you. Thank Thanks you for, for a, such a lovely story. And hopefully, it will get sorted one way or the other. And well done yeah. for going public. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're lovely. Kay, be oh. very proud of you. Mind yourself, Anne, for now. Oh, okay. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Yes, uh, the Lord Mayor Deirdre Ford was due on air this morning uh, and was it was all sorted and ready to roll and we've been trying to contact the Lord Mayor's office and have been ringing and texting and leaving emails but uh, several times um, since we started but nobody's responding nor picking up nor coming back to text or what have you we'd been told yesterday that you would be available um, I think at this I think actually that I if if I were to hazard a guess I would think that she's been told to say no more uh, I'm just kind of thinking my gut is telling me that I don't think she'd have any problem talking but I think that others perhaps powers that be or somebody down and 
somewhere in, in City Hall or there's been a get together to say, listen, you've said enough, say no more. We'll only, it'll only end up making things worse. So that's my reading into that. I, I'm open to correction, but that's my reading into it at this point in time. Because uh, there's never been a time in the past where she wasn't available. So I'm wondering if... Uh, um, She's been got to in some shape or form. We'll have to wait and see if I'm right or wrong. I was talking earlier on um, about this survey that was done in the in the UK, right? It got me thinking an awful lot more about it, where they said that nearly two in five people in Britain uh, in a relationship have hidden money from their partners. Uh, this report has just been published by Aviva. Uh, they say that you know, like two-thirds of people, uh, couples, um, have a joint current account, Right. Um, others have their own bank accounts, but each partner knows about the other bank account. But I'm talking about the hidden bank accounts. Like nearly 40% of people who were surveyed said they had a secret bank account or cash put away without their partner's knowledge. A lot admitted that they argue a lot now these days about money, at least once a week, uh, and found that there was more and more financial pressure now and it was causing more and more hardship and leading to more uh, arguments. The research also said that nearly 93% of those polled had at least 3,000 tucked away in a secret account that their partners know nothing about. The other, the remaining 6 or 7%, had anywhere between fifteen and €17,000 squirreled away. And the main reason that many of them gave was because they were afraid that if uh, the relationship broke down, they would need stowed away cash in case the relationship broke down. And that gave that got us talking then, and I read out an email of awful coercive control that a woman was victim to. And then I got a second one um, from another woman who was subject to it and eventually uh, started saving money and then left. Uh, the big problem, of course, with regards to uh, living with a violent partner or coercive or physical or verbal assault is that it can take nearly four years now uh, before you can get into um, a district court. That's the waiting time for family law, domestic violence applications. It can be up to four years and it's getting longer and longer. So more and more people then, and it can depend where you live in the country. It's like a, I think the examiner referred to it as a, as a postcode lottery for people seeking protection uh, from violent partners. Here's an email that is just another example of that. I was in an abusive relationship for a few years and eventually got the strength to leave. It started not long after I got pregnant. He used to repeatedly cheat on me. Uh, he, used to tell, he used to tell me that I was crazy. He used to tell me that I needed medication. Uh, he used to get physical if there were cups on the draining board and not put away when he came in from work. On one occasion, he broke a wooden stool off my shins as I was sitting on the couch holding our child. Uh, he used to constantly check my social media and demand to know who I talked to on a daily basis. Another time I was doing a night feed, he came in, grabbed my son at the time and threw him onto the bed in a temper because he was crying too loudly for him. I tried leaving that night. He put his hands around my neck, telling me he'd kill me and squeezed me until I passed out. He told me nobody would believe me if I told anyone. I was terrified and afraid. And even though I had a great family and friends, I was too afraid to tell anyone. The abuse worsened mentally and physically. If I ever went to meet friends, he would check what underwear I was wearing and he would shout at me to take it off if he thought it was inappropriate in his eyes. He used to call me fat and say nobody would ever want me because I had a child with him. He used to tell me that sex was disgusting, that he preferred men, 
that all women were disgusting. I just became very depressed and withdrew from my family and friends even more. He used to tell me nobody would believe me that everyone he works with thinks he's lovely. He used to constantly accuse me of cheating even though I had never been unfaithful while in that relationship. On one morning before I was set to go to work, he smashed my phone and hit me so hard into my forehead I had a massive lump and cut. I just covered it up and brought my child to my family and went off to work. On that day, I told my family what had been going on for the first time and I told him I was leaving. He then threatened that he was going to take his own life. He left a suicide note, went missing, but he came back the following day. He managed to enter my house. When I arrived home, he was there high. He had covered the inside of my house in petrol. I rang the guards. I tried to move on with my life, but I was constantly being watched by him. He would arrive to my house crying, saying that he would kill himself if I didn't give him another chance. That me ringing the guards would affect his job, and how could I do that to him? I managed to keep my head down, and I opened up my own business after I left him. I met someone who was absolutely amazing to me and my child, and we were happy. But he was having none of it. He made life a living hell for me. He's affected every aspect of my life. I just feel so hopeless and so scared, and it just won't stop. Now, that's actually an abridged version of uh, a longer email, parts of it that I can't read out for fear of identifying those involved. But isn't that one of the most shocking stories that you've ever heard? Uh, the lengths that people will go to to destroy and to ruin somebody else's life. And you often wonder, when, when you read a story like that, was he always like that? I mean, did he hide that for you? Or did something happen somewhere that he just changed? Or was that the real person that sadly you had to discover for yourself? Um, God only knows what it would have been like if you'd known earlier and so much would have been better in your life. But what happens to a person that they can change like that? Or is it a case that they are always like that, but they hide in plain sight? Text 0868104106, email neil at redfm.ie. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 0868104106, Cork's Red FM. Yesterday I told you, but it might have been Monday, it was certainly either yesterday or Monday probably, it was the uh, story about the car meet out in Blackpool and Dunn stores at 10 o'clock on a Friday night and an awful lot of people were very annoyed about it, particularly residents with children and there was all sorts of noise and commotion and everything and there was other stories then about when the cars took off after the car show and they went for a run. Uh, up and down the uh, East Link and what have you and they were racing and they were acting the fool and what have you. So a lot of pushback on that I can tell you. Patrick's a car enthusiast himself. Patrick, good morning. Morning, Ed. Here are some of the texts, right? Um, um, these guys were doing nothing out of the way. People will want to get a life, give them a break. Um, another one, there's a time and a place. 10 o'clock in a residential area is not suitable for these kind of car meets. The noise was atrocious. It sounded like gunshots and speeding cars. They should be taken out of the city. Uh, I was at that car gathering. Uh, it was absolutely spectacular. I had my three kids there and it w- they were all talking about it. My kids have been dreaming about cars ever since. It was brilliantly organised, a brilliant night out. Well done for talking about them in a positive light. People who criticise should just go and attend flower shows and leave young lads alone. Your, your thought, you're 20 years now uh, showing cars and going to these kind of meets, right? Yeah. I'm um, indeed. Yeah. Um, like, right, I've been to Cammy in England, been to Cammy Tower in Ireland. In 2004 or 5, you actually interviewed myself and not a few lads because 
they wanted to ban window tints and we actually proved they were a safety feature and um, we were right. up against Ivor Callaly that time and right. like huh? are tinted windows still legal? tinted windows are still legal but it, obviously it's a percentage of so it's oh, less than it. a certain yeah. percentage it depends on the tint yeah, yeah, yeah. now we, we were able to prove at the time that the tint actually holds the windows together in the event of a window being smashed uh, more so if your children in the back of your car blah 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 yeah. right now we went about organising car meets here, as I was saying to our researchers themselves. Mandela Park, private entity, they hold a big a big one every year, Jap Fest. A lot of people go to it. Great show, great organisation. We went about um, organising car meets outside this. Um, we've run into problems with insurance. We've run into problems, no, not necessarily properly. We've had people say, yeah, look, you can provide it, everything is organised properly. You need stewards at events. Obviously, try to get the guards involved. No, not going to happen. Go to England. Police are involved in every single car meet over there. Absolutely run great. Now, obviously, you have a cohort every which way, no matter what walk of life you're in. That will cause small problems. Over in England, please shut it down straight away. Problem solved, done. Whereas try organise something here in Ireland where you can legally meet, where people like this spend hundreds of thousands of euros on cars. Over the, well, over the years, God knows what I've spent on cars. But like, you buy a car, you buy Ford Focus. You don't want your car to look the same as your neighbour's for So you decided you spend a few pounds on yeah, it. Yeah. No. For a nice, decent set of allies at the moment, you're going anywhere from eight hundred euros to four thousand. I suppose no, I get that. And, and and it's a fantastic hobby and it's a great thing to do and work hard and spend your money on your wheels. But it's like in a car park, uh, 10 o'clock at night around residential areas with noise and backfires and everything that goes with it. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not ideal, you know. There was about to have been 300 cars there revving at the same time. No, look, people are going to exaggerate things. Yes, there was cars there, 100%. I've seen the pictures on Facebook. Yes, there was probably cars revving. No, other side of that, um, personally, I think it's in a car park. It's not on the main thoroughfare. Years ago, we used to go up down Pasture Street. We used to go into Esso, the Western Road, which is now student accommodation. And the owner of the shop of that petrol station had no problem with us being there. Obviously, we were spending money in his business. Yeah. Do you know? Yes, okay. It was in a residential area. It was in a big open space, i.e. a car park. Um, again, in every cohort, no matter what walk of life you're in, there's going to be problems with a minority, which, look, that's understandable too. But take it away from the point, the fact of any other nice bar car driven, there's noise regardless of. Yeah, it's just that there were people. I mean, I, I, I mean, listen. It there was people said, isn't it better than them drinking and uh, you know acting the acting on the maggot or fighting in the streets or you know horseplay up and, and I would down agree with that. Street I would agree with that appointment. Uh, I would their, agree with that. They're in their cars that they invested big money, and I, I understand all of that. It, it, and, and I'm assuming. I mean, we contacted Blackpool Shopping Centre to see if it was sanctioned by them. I didn't get any response, but. There were guardy there, so obviously the guards were patrolling and they were okay with it. Now look, on that side too, fair use to the guards. Guard came out and said, it was actually okay. There was one incident in the majority of, it was it went off peacefully. Yeah. 99% of the time the guard will have something bad to say about a Kami because there's idiots there. So look... If the guard is turning around, if the guards are turning around and saying it actually wasn't that bad, no, they checked. Like, uh, they checked all the motors apparently, and they just got one. I think they got one car where someone with an L license wasn't accompanied by a full license. That kind of thing. That was all, though. 
Fair enough. And look, as I said, 99% of times, at the moment, I drive a modified car, everything's on my windscreen. Costly to keep a modified car on the road due to the fact conditions of our roads. Um, you're going to do more damage suspension and everything, lowering cars and whatnot. Fine. Like, so the guards are saying, no, there was one incident, but otherwise it went off. Absolutely Great. Another texter says, I prefer my kids to be ploughing money into their cars and meeting up with their buddies, comparing their cars, rather than spending money on drink or drugs. They're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Some people well, will that, just moan about anything. Well, look, uh, um, take from that what you will, but yeah, look, if I give my, my child, seven years of age, little petrol head, has his own after truck because I drive Arctics, and I'd rather have my child have a car addiction than a drug addiction. He's got... Uh, a mini Arctic, is it? He has a mini Arctic that he drives himself. And you put petrol in it's got a real engine? No, no, it's, it's a, this is a battery operated one, but it has its own number plates, Bluetooth radio, he has his, it's a custom build him a phone holder, so he plays his music through it. There's pictures of him up in the truck show in Dulla recently. We done, last year we were on, um, we were on a charity gig for Pierre House, and my son's truck was actually the cover photo for Pierre House because the lady that runs it, her son was actually on the back of my son's truck. <laughs> how, old, how old is your son? He's eight in May. And is he eyeing up Daddy's big Arctic, he is? <laughs> oh, Daddy, I want air horns on my truck like yours. Fine, no problem, but <laughs> Great story. <laughs> Love it. So, it's like, it's like, as you said, look, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Right. A lot of these cars have a lot of money put into them and so we go and we show off the cars. Happy days. Do you know, look, People want to complain about it. Okay, they're going to complain about it. So if the guards fly up and down there in the evening, they chase if any crashed into that person's front wall. They're going to complain about that. Why didn't the guards stop him sooner? There's a bit of racing going on afterwards, though, and it seemed as if it got quite dangerous at times. I'm told that's the only thing. Again, small minority. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, Patrick. Um, Cheers, my man. Thank you, Neil. Good luck to you and your son in the in the mini Arctic. Text 0868104106. Um, can I just update? You might recall we were talking with Dan on the air some weeks ago. He was born in Besborough in the 1950s. Uh, we were talking at length about De- about Besborough and the planning permissions that have been knocked back for apartments and building down there because of the land and the possibility that there could be babies buried on the land in Besborough. That was the backstory to it. Now, Dan had uh, recovered. He saw and came across small bones on the ground, was on the air with us and uh, between the jigs and the reels he got in touch with the professionals because he he retained one of the bones and the idea was to get it checked to find out if it was human. Um, I have an update on that and Dan joins me by phone. Dan, good morning. Morning, Neil. Well, what's the answer to that question? Is it human? They were here yesterday and they said it was an animal bone. Animal without fear of any contradiction, 100% animal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, did they say dog, cat, anything like that? A pig. A pig. A, a young pig. Um, probably came from the kitchen. Just the carcass of the, the pig was yeah. buried on the ground and all that remained was pig bone. How do you feel about getting that news? I was um, I was upset, but I wanted to accept that. Um, Move around a small bit there, Dan, because this is important, and I want to be able to hear you. You were upset, you said. Yes, yes. Disappointed. Yes. Well, no, I wouldn't put it that way. I mean, uh, I'm still convinced that, that there are uh, babies buried there. I mean, because the 
the lead up to where the, I found those bones, I mean, was the, you know, the vase with dead flowers and mm. the tiny patch of daffodils underneath the trees. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that, you know, and just a general feeling about the place. Uh, um, you know, it, it, I, I felt, <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, I felt that I was in the presence of something. No, it, does, it doesn't sound crazy. And so much would yeah. stack up your beliefs, including the area on the old 1950s map that's marked Baby's oh, yeah, Burial yeah. Ground. Yeah. 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 We'll never know until well, um, there's until there's really intensive um, scanning of it, and you can. There's all sorts of equipment now that could be used without going into the ground at all. Could scan the correct. entire they've area. They've had those opportunities for for many years, uh, Neil. They could have done it many years ago. Yeah. But yeah. of course, it's too late now in many cases because the area that I've been talking about was bulldozed. I mean, it's it's destroyed. It was full of builders' rubble and. The whole area is just wrecked, you know. Um, so it could even be too late. It was, if a, lovely, it was a lovely walk, and yeah. it's not a lovely walk anymore. Um, it's a walk around the trees, and yeah. it's all gone. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's covered now, and yeah. you know, God knows what. So, although it's not a human bone, it doesn't it doesn't change in any way your no. belief as to what no. the sight holes no. are held at one stage. Listen, Neil, when I met them. You know, to to trace my mother back in the nineties, I was shocked at how cold and callous they were. I had no idea, um, and uh, they were only interested in money, 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 money. That's all they wanted. You know, pay us, and we go look. You know, and I when I found mother, uh, she told me some of the treatment that she got down there with appalling. She died soon after I met her. Um, you know, uh, it's just. She didn't tell you you were part of any vaccine. She didn't tell you you were part of any vaccine trials at the time or anything. Did she? Did she know? No, uh, uh, it was a very kind of, um, difficult meeting in a way, an emotional meeting. Was she elderly? Uh, at the, was she elderly by the time you managed to find your mum? Well, she wasn't that old. She died when she was sixty-nine, so she had me when I was nineteen. Oh, sorry, when she was nineteen. Uh, yeah, and she when she was released from Desbra, she went to England and she met a, a wonderful man there and got married and had a family. Was she ever, uh, was she ever, did she ever think of you throughout the course of her life? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And she was stunned when I, when she was contacted, uh, you know, by Desbra uh, that I was looking for her. This is when the law changed. And yes, I know. Must have been, you couldn't do it. Was it very emotional then when you met for the first time? It was, Neil. It was, it was quite... Difficult. I guess the only way I can put it. I mean, yeah. it was sad. Uh, but it was profound as well. It was just quite sad. Um, yeah, yeah. Was she back uh, in your I, life I, I, then I, for a period of time or, or what? Say, sorry, say that again? Was she back in your life then for the for the rest no, of her life? not really. No, no, no. Like I said, shortly, not too long after that, she, uh, she died. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So sad, isn't it? So many, so many stories. Yeah. So many stories. But well, listen, what she did say, you know, resonated. The, the treatment, you know, the indignity, the slave labor, you know, the, the amount of people that are involved all making money off their backs. You know, they need, I mean, they're, they're a billion euro association. I mean, they're worth billions, Neil. And this is what we're up against. Yeah, yeah. And every time you try and 
you know, make a case like, you know, bring the equipment down there and, and find, go and look for it, you know, search the area, you know, I mean, there's talk now of putting some kind of memorial down there. But, and I suppose no, to all no, of our no, eternal shame and to those involved in it, babies were changing hands and money was being paid. Yes, when, when they were here yesterday from UCC, a very nice man, Barrett in the uh, he said, you know, they, they, they were shocked at, you know, the stories that they heard. Mm. Well, I'd be be careful about what you say because you may not have permission to go into details of what he might have told you privately, you know? Of course, yeah. Yeah, just to be fair to everybody. But listen, um, thank you for coming back. Uh, I don't know, I don't know what, how to describe it. I mean, is, is, is this good news? Is it, is it bad news? Is it disappointing and allow people to make up their own minds on that one? But it doesn't, it doesn't change your beliefs. No, it does not. Not one bit. Feel free to stay in touch, Dan. Lovely chatting with you again. Thank you so much for the update and everything you did with regards to it, all right? Okay, thanks very much, Dan. All the best, Dan. All the best, all the best. Okay, so not not human, but an animal bone as in a pig. Our lines will stay open. You can text 0868 104 If you have a story to share, and I know that some of the stories this morning, certainly by email with regards to uh, awful relationship scenarios were by email. You can email yourself if you have a story to share. Email neil at redfm.ie. I will never divulge private information to anybody. Full stop. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.